0: Ladies and gentlemen, are you getting to your seats? That was a short four minutes. Oh, I know. <laughs> so, off the record, off the record, off the record, those things that occur occurred in the dining room, i.e., the non-distribution of braille menus, which required the reading of what the food options were at all ten. Tables, um, these kinds of things, has been brought to the attention of the restaurant, has been brought to the attention all the way up. I think I had three different layers of bureaucracy stop by to extend their apologies for those circumstances. So, what what appears to have been the case is we were asked to braille the lunch menu. We were provided the lunch mail a menu. We brailed it. We sent it here. It was here Monday. It, but I'm saying it was here at the hotel Shh. It was here at the hotel on Monday, but it apparently did not reach the restaurant manager until Thursday. Somehow or other got stuck on a drawer or something like that for a while. So he came and he apologized to me that he was not aware of the switch until he saw that the menu was for the lunch choices that are only available on weekdays. Never in this restaurant is it available on weekends. So that's why you did not get Braille menus. That was the issue, not what was served, but that we didn't have the Braille menus. That really was the thing. And they extend their apologies, and in our post-convention discussion of the convention committee, yada, 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 yada. You can bet we'll be talking about that and set things to right. So we apologize for that to happen, but it's now behind us. Yep, please. Uh, now let's give Frank a chance to make a couple of announcements. Go ahead.
1: Uh, nothing really to announce. Just I want to say as a conference coordinator that apologies do not put food on a the table. They do not get the the meal served. Uh, I do have a few ideas brewing in my head as ways that we could sidestep this issue in the future, but I thank everyone who brought it to our attention, and we are working on it. So with that, we're going to launch right into our introduction. So Miss Ellen, the lady with the roller skates, is going to go around, and when she taps you, just tell us who you are, and that's it. And I'll start by saying I'm Frank Ventura, conference coordinator.
0: And I'm Brian Charlson, President, Bay State Council of the Blind, Watertown.
2: Hi, my name is Janice Fahey, and I'm with the Office of the Attorney General, Maura Healy, and with the Consumer Advocacy and Response Division. Happy to be here today. Thank you.
3: Hi, I'm Kim McDonald. I'm also with the Office of the Attorney General, of the Consumer Advocacy and Response Division.
4: Hi, my name is Rose Miller. I am also with the Office of the Attorney General, Maura Healy. And um, I am going to be speaking in a minute or two as well.
5: (laughs) I'm Jim Badger. I live in Swamskett, and I am a rehabilitation teacher at the Mass Commission for the Blind.
6: I'm Sharon Strakowski from Worcester, and I'm a vocational rehab counselor with Mass Commission for the Blind. I'm Mary Horoyan and I work at uh, the Mass Association for the Blind and Visually Impaired and I'm a board member.
7: Carl Richardson, I'm the Day Health ADA coordinator.
8: Okay. Bob Hesse, Baylines editor. Okay.
9: PJ Fernandez,
10: board member and vice president of BSCB students. Rick Morin, treasurer, and we're broadcasting live on ACB Radio.
11: Betty Soderholm, Needham. Ellen Soderholm, Needham, and Betty's daughter.
12: Hi, I'm Diane Elliott from Cambridge.
13: Uh, David Kingsbury, first vice president, BSCB Stoughton.
14: Uh oh, <laughs> sorry. Uh Catherine Moss, Wilmington, Massachusetts and uh, help desk representative at Partners Healthcare. I'm it Okay. Gretchen Thompson,
4: West Roxbury. Oh,
7: oh. Je- Jeffrey Thompson, West Roxbury.
15: Yeah, as everybody pointed a finger and said I needed help, you never know when you might need it. This is Angie, and I'm a consumer, former ACB, BSCB member. Hello,
9: I'm the mic. I'm Jerry Barrier, secretary, and I work at the Perkins School for the Blind for the I Can Connect program.
16: Hi, it's Kathy Devon.
17: South Shore Chapter President. Hi, Chris Devon, uh, South Shore Chapter Secretary. We both live in Quincy.
15: This is Andrea
11: Judici. I am here with um, as one of the two representatives from the Connecticut Council for the Blind. And even though we're on the schedule to have a meeting, we've already talked to other a lot this weekend. So, <laughs> so we're not going to do that. Um, and I am from West Hartford, Connecticut. I'm Ellen
16: Telker. I'm from Milford, Connecticut.
11: Okay. Oh, hi. Hi, I'm Ros Nadler, and I'm from Arlington, and I'm glad to be here. And I'm from the North Shore chapter.
9: Hi, I'm Jeff Harris from Brighton.
18: Hi, uh, Jim Dunham from. What we call H two Oville, otherwise known as (laughs) otherwise Watertown. (laughs) I am uh, president of the Charles River chapter, and I'm member of the board of directors of Bay State Council of Mine.
15: Good afternoon. Uh, I'm Caroline Denham, and uh, also from Watertown on most days. And uh, happy to be here.
18: I am Bruce Howell, I'm the chair of the MCB Rehab Council, and I work at the Carroll Center in Web Accessibility.
7: Hi, I'm Charlie Crawford, and I used to work for the Department of the Attorney General Consumer Protection Division.
19: Hi,
12: Susan Crawford, Silver Spring, Maryland, member of ACB Maryland, and former member of
1: My son.
6: And Donna from Watertown, uh, Vice President Charles River Chapter.
20: Sam Goodwin from uh, Revere, Massachusetts.
7: Jerry Goodwin from Revere, Massachusetts.
9: Hi, Jim Duffy from Quincy. I'm John Shea here representing the Talking Information Center, and we are also broadcasting this convention live on our network.
11: Everyone's been introduced.
1: Okay. One? one person up here? Oh, one more. Yeah,
9: excuse me. Steve uh, Dresser from Reading, Massachusetts, and... Uh, I'm one of the guys making the sound happen today, so if it goes wrong, I'm wearing a bulletproof vest. <laughs> <laughs> uh, if it
15: goes right, it's Steve. If it goes wrong, it's my I see
20: why why? <laughs> <laughs> Hello, Brian Coppola from McDoin, Massachusetts. I am, the, um, I am the accessible prescription man trying to get CVS and, water, CVS and Watertown Square to get the script talk in.
1: Yeah, I think you missed yourself. Tell us who you are.
11: I'm Ellen Grandpre Badger, Jim Badger's
1: wife, and I'm a volunteer today. Okay, thank you, everyone. Okay, so thank you very much, everyone. Uh, obviously, you know, as the economy gets with uh, ups and downs and bumps and bruises, you know, money is always tight, and it's always good to know that you, as a consumer you, could, uh, you have some protections under the law and there are some things that you could do to protect yourself better. So with that theme, we're pleased to have some representatives from the Attorney General's office, and they're going to talk a little bit about consumer protection. So ladies?
2: Hi. My name is Janice Fahey, and I am with the Attorney General Maura Healy's office. And I'm here with Kim McDonald and Rose Miller. And we wanted to talk to you a little bit today about what our office does and what our division does and how we can be of assistance to you and make sure this is as interactive as possible. So if you have questions along the way or a concern that involves a consumer issue, please uh, feel free to let us know, raise your hand, and, um, and we'll, we'll go from there. So uh, the Office of the Attorney General, Maura Healy, uh, is the law firm for the Commonwealth. So uh, some of the things that the Attorney General does is to advocate for the people of the Commonwealth, and she likes to be known as the People's Attorney. And I uh, want to make sure that we make you feel as comfortable as possible with using the resources of our office in the areas of consumer protection, combating fraud and corruption, protecting civil rights, and promoting meaningful economic recovery. Our division is the Consumer Advocacy and Response Division. And what we do is assist consumers with issues with businesses and try to protect consumers from unfair and unscrupulous business practices. We just formed this division from some other divisions that were in the office, including the Public Protection and Inquiry Assistance Center. I don't think I said that right, but (laughs) Public Inquiry and Assistance Center uh, which previously did help with consumer complaints against businesses. And additionally, we combined what was previously the Home Corps Department that assists people who are facing foreclosure and assisting them with modifications. In addition to that, the Elder Division is now all part of the Consumer Advocacy and Response Division. What we're trying to do with the Consumer Advocacy and Response Division is have advocates with expertise in certain areas of the uh, law, and certain things such as automobiles. Um, right now, I am ca- helping with vulnerable populations within the state, and uh, Rose is in charge of utilities right now. In addition to that, we have other areas with experts and um, advocates who can assist you with issues you may have with a business. We have a hotline, and we also take in complaints against businesses, and uh, we are happy to help you with that. We do have up here, and I think at the end of, uh, when we're talking, we're gonna put this in the back of the room, some materials from our office. And the one um, that I'm looking at now is the hotline numbers throughout the office. We have a hotline for our division, as well as an elder hotline. Uh, home core hotline, involving relating to issues with foreclosures. Uh, fair labor division. Civil Rights Division, a Healthcare Division, and a few others as well. So if you want to take some of those materials afterwards, some of them are in large print. Uh, so that's basically what we do. So um, what we'd like to do is start talking about either identity theft or scams. And I also want to open it up to the floor for, for people who have concerns or questions. Um, Rose, do you want to just start talking about scams or...
4: Hello, everybody. Again, my name is Rose Miller, and um, my expertise actually in the office is utility disputes or problems. So one of the things that we see a lot is um, merchants uh, calling people or coming to their homes, knocking on their doors and telling them that, You know, they can help them with their utility bill, lower their bills. Now, some of those organizations that do come to your door are legitimate companies. Some are not. Some are scammers. And so you have to be very careful uh, when you're talking to them or even showing them information about your bills. So before you do that, you may want to contact your utility company, whomever it is. It could be Instar, sorry, Eversource is the new name of the company. Um, Eversource or National Grid, um, those are usually the two primary uh, companies in our state. However, there are some smaller utility companies that are privately owned or ran by the city or town in which you live. And again, you may want to contact our office if you're getting people coming to your door and telling you, you know, we can switch you for free and so on and so forth. Sometimes that might be true, sometimes it's not. And again, you want to make sure that you know who you're talking to. Um, You want to get identification from them. Uh, You also want to contact your utility company that you're dealing with and ask them if this is the person that's representing that company. Because sometimes they come in and they say, oh, I'm from Eversource or I'm from National Grid. And they're actually from one of the other companies that are not necessarily a uh, legitimate company. Um, That's one of the scams that are going on right now. There's also other scams, which are phone scams. People are calling you up and telling you you won money. Or they told you that you you owe money to the IRS. (laughs) Right, that's a major scam that's going on right now Um, there's also it depends on the time of year so there's also a a scam going around telling you that you got a grant you won free money from a grant all right so be careful with that because nothing 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 is free that's another scam (laughs) that's another scam D- there's sometimes the debt consolidations. If anybody's calling you and, and telling you these things or asking you about this, first of all, how did they get your number? Okay? Also, if you have not reached out to them to offer, you know, to ask them for questions or, you know, some help, then more than likely it's not real. So, okay? Okay. Um, I, I think at the end we can do a question. I mean, if you want to shout out the question, that's fine. But in the in the meantime, I just want to get some of these scams out before you. Let's start hold questions, the questions to the end. Mm-hmm. Yes, robocalls are on on cell phones. They come from cell phones. A lot of times, the callers are not. Um, actually calling from a a cell phone they're calling from the computer so that's something that happens often unfortunately the do not call registry does not work for those types of calls those are scam calls anyone that's registered with the do not call list the legitimate callers that were in touch with you previously they have a right to um, call you if you've had previous contacts with them but other the other callers that are calling in nowadays are generally scammers, and please do not engage. That's one of the things that our office asks, that you do not engage with the people. Just hang up right away, yeah. or, or you want to call the Federal Trade Commission, and the Federal Trade Commission at this time are handling a lot of those types of calls. So... I can share that telephone number with you, and also it's on some of our material, and um, we try to help in this situation. We can just direct you to them, because the Federal Trade Commission are the ones that are really working with um, our government to try to help stop some of this stuff. But it's not that they're going to stop the calls. They're going to just try and track the information so that they can stop the perpetrators of these types of scams. Okay, And so if you want to take down the number, um, I can tell you for the federal trade, it's 877-382-4357. And that's the Federal Trade Commission. They have a website, which is um, ftc.gov. And you can also go online for those that are savvy online users. Um, The other thing is there's also a grandmother or grandfather scam or it's what we call a relative scam, uh, where people are calling up and saying that their grandchild or you know, this is, this is your grandchild, whomever the name is, and then you now supply the person with the name by saying Bobby or Johnny or whoever name, right? And they'll say yes. And then at that point, they'll ask you to send money to them through Western Union. Do not, do not do that. And they also tell you, Oh, don't tell my mom or don't tell my dad. All right? Again, those are scams. You do not want to get involved with that. Never send money to people that you don't know, and especially if they tell you send it by Western Union or send it by MoneyGram. Do not allow yourself to get caught up in that. That's definite a scam. And any questions about that right now? I hear chirping in the air. (laughs) Okay. Okay.
20: We one here. Yeah. Well, the other day, I got a call um, from an, um, from a phone number in, that was uh, traced to New York, New York. It showed up on my cell phone, and it was somebody
3: telling me that, um, that the U.S. Treasury had a warrant out for my
15: arrest. <laughs>
4: Well, actually, that's not a new one. That's the that's a that's an old um, that's an old one. Um, that what? It's, it's an old scam. It's still a scam, because the U.S. Treasury or the IRS or uh, federal grants—they're not going to call you. They send out letters, okay, to you um, to acknowledge whatever issue you may have. A letter will come to you in the mail. Now, not all the time that things come in the mail are legitimate either. <laughs> So so you got to just be very careful in what you respond to and have you know people read the information to you but you also can contact our office at uh the attorney general's office our new division which is called card and it's the main number there is 617 727 8400 and that's our Consumer hotline. The line is generally open between 10 and 4 p.m., Monday through Friday. Mm -hmm. Rose,
16: um, this is Kathy Devon. Um, Chris and I got one. His daughter um, lives in Pennsylvania, Mm -hmm. and what they do is they call up and they say, we're looking for Beth Hackaday, and they'll say, um, you know, you need to um, give us her number or call back and all this kind of stuff. And so we didn't know whether, in fact... You know, she had used this as a reference, well anyway, as it turns out, she called it up and it was a scam, but um, you know they, they get pretty clever, yes. um, and they kept and they didn't stop. We kept on you know hanging up on them, and they would keep on calling back. They were uh you know quite persistent because they want to get either her address or information about her or whatever, so that's but, another one.
2: yeah. That's the best thing to do. This is Janice again. So, <laughs> to, uh, so yeah, the best thing to do is not answer the call. If you can, a lot of people just really want to answer their phone, and it's really difficult for them not to pick it up. But uh, if, if you don't know the number, it's best not to pick it up. Cause w- right? And once, they know that, once you answer the phone, they know they have a real person, and they will continue to call you. Because uh, a lot of the times it's a machine that's calling you. And once they realize it's a real person on that line then they're going to continue to call you. So as far as just going back to the IRS scam, there's so many of them out there, and um, they've gotten more and more uh, complex and sophisticated. And another one that's going around right now is uh, an internal company scam where it's going, it's coming to employees saying that it's the CEO of the company or someone high up in the company and telling them that they uh, need to provide social security numbers for the other employees. And uh, so it looks like it's coming internal and it's not. And that's a real big problem right now. And the IRS is very interested in trying to resolve these issues. And right now they are engaged in a public awareness campaign where uh, they try to encourage everyone to do more to protect their uh, personal information. And if you want more information on that, you can just go right to their website, which is irs.gov. So.
1: I've got two questions myself. Uh, first though you're talking about how people call purporting to be an internal investigator or internal IT person. And we call that social engineering, where they kind of wrap you into believing that you are responsible for giving out that, that information. Uh, what's some a, a first, first part of my question is, what are some of the tricks we could use to differentiate that from uh, a real person, As a, in addition to just a, hanging up and calling back? And the other thing, too, is that we've been using the word scam a lot. Does the Federal Trade Commission have an actual legal definition of the word scam? More
4: or less, we, we say scam, but um, that's... okay. All right, we do say scam in the Attorney General's office. no, I, I'm not sure what the Federal Trade Commission has a definition of it, but they're stating that it's an unfair or deceptive business practice and that's how they're classifying it in um, most of their uh, materials. Um, In our office, we will say that it's a scam, but you can also contact us and tell us what the particular call is about or the letter is about, and then we can determine or help you determine whether it is a scam. The one thing that you may want to pay attention to is that if you are receiving these calls... The one thing that we say to you is, again, as other people have said in the room, don't pick up the phone. You don't always have to answer your phone. Let it go to the voicemail. And then when it goes to the voicemail and you hear it, you know, a lot of times you'll hear a click. Yep. Yep. They're hanging on up because they couldn't get a live person. So when you engage with these types of calls or these types of um, computer-generated calls, they're, they're going to just keep calling and calling and calling, and unfortunately, that's a problem. So yep.
2: to answer. Mm-hmm. Okay, to answer the other question that you asked about how what how do you avoid this and um, if how do you know it's coming from someone who's outside the organization, and I think the first thing with that is err on the side of no one should have your personal information and go from there. So if there's a question about personal information, it's probably not going to come to you from email inside the office because there's... Um, a lot of requirements in order to provide information like that uh, that you would have to go through. It, it should never be something that's a casual email saying something like, send me the social security numbers of the employees. So be always careful and err on the side of never providing your social security number to anyone. And if someone does ask you for it, ask them why they need it. Because a lot of the times they don't. They might just want it and uh, to have it in their records. But a lot of times they don't need it. And if they do need it, ask them what their policies are on protecting your privacy. Because there are laws that require them to do certain things when they have personal information. Uh, So uh, as far as uh, other signs, misspellings, that's usually one. Uh, Even though scammers are sophisticated, a lot of the times they aren't in this country. And sometimes you'll see words that just don't make sense. That's a, a big sign, and also watch for like if you have a .com, if it says .org instead or something. A lot of the times, that's like a clue. Just make sure it's it's from that email address. And whenever you have a question, make a phone call or you know try to to, to look into it further.
3: Hi, hi. This is Cam. So just one thing I just wanted to note with any of these scams, whether you get it in your email, via phone, or um, a letter. If it looks like it's coming from a legitimate agency and there's a number on it, you don't. You need to use that number. I, I always recommend when people call that they go to the agency website and get the number on the agency website. That way, that's an easy way to sort of determine whether it's a legitimate offer or company versus calling the number on the pamphlet. So if you can look them up online, you can try. If it if they say they're coming from sort of Eversource, don't use. The ever the page you get call the ever source number that you find on your bill. Um I think that's a pretty good rule of thumb.
2: Okay. Yeah, I think we have a question right
9: behind you. One one of the um Okay. one of the kinds of scams that I've seen that we haven't mentioned in this room is uh, somebody will call and they'll say hello this is Kevin. You have a problem with your computer. And uh they will be only too happy to log in remotely to your computer and uh, steal anything that you want stolen. So, And they'll tell you that sometimes they'll say they're from Microsoft. Sometimes they'll just say they're from tech support. Mm-hmm. Um, no matter what they say, it's not true because no and, – and and usually the way they try to hook you is to say – we've noticed um that your computer is has got a virus on it and it's mm-hmm. it's doing dangerous things on the internet well they don't know that there's there's no way they know that i'm wondering if well well not necessarily. not necessarily. No. That no, that's not true. That's not true.
4: That's not necessarily true. And I we can't just, you know, arbitrarily say that everybody has an accent no. and they're and, a, and a lot of times
9: they don't. <laughs> a lot of times right. they're American sounding mm-hmm. and, and you just don't know where they're from. But the point is nobody is gonna call you from any tech department right. telling you anything about your computer.
4: Right. First of all, how do they know you have a computer? Okay, and second of all, and second of all, if you confirm that information, and again, this is Rose speaking. I'm sorry, if you confirm that information, they are very, very convincing. Oh, I need to go on your computer. I need to take charge, so on and so forth. You don't let anyone take charge of your computer, and it, not only that, they're not supposed to know who who told them that you had a computer. <laughs> so. So when you get these types of calls or you get emails, just delete them. Just delete them. Yes. I thought that same kind of a call was from Microsoft. It was 6 o'clock in the morning. All right. So if you get a call at 6 o'clock in the morning, you know that that's not from Microsoft. We have a question.
5: Well, one thing I've had happen is I've had uh, my uh, caller ID say that it was me. It yes. says call from James yeah, Badger, and I could see where for my wife that would be confusing. I mean, I've had it where I'm sitting right next to it, and I don't think that I suffer from that sort of mental illness. But I, it says call from James Badger as if I should answer it because it's it could be me. Uh, another, um, but ahead. the other thing that I've had, which is is a little because conf- I don't answer the I don't answer when I don't recognize the number. But one place where I have had a problem is if you get someone, I had people who said they were the South Carolina School of Psychiatry which um, I was a therapist for a long time but I wasn't a psychiatrist and usually psychiatry is part of a medical school it's not usually but it turned out I actually ended up calling them back because they called like every day for a long time and eventually I had like you know 23 messages from them and it said that I owed them money which I figured okay I can clear this up quickly I've never been to Columbia, South Carolina in my life. Stop calling me. Mm -hmm. And they did, but it turned out to be some company that was like a, at least they claimed, to be some company that was a student debt Mm -hmm. consolidation. It wasn't really even the school they said it was. But it is hard when you don't answer it, but they just keep leaving messages on your voicemail. You just have to keep deleting them, I guess, but that's hard. Thank you for your question. Um, So
2: there's a couple more questions as well. And then then we're going to move on to... um,
5: Okay,
8: couple of things here. One um, uh, to Steve's point. Um, one of these people that called me about the computer, they said not only did was there a problem with my computer, but they had evidence to believe that an outside terrorist organization was using my computers for um, malicious purposes. And um, oh, and here's how you stop a lot of these: if you have a good enough phone system with features, there's a feature called selective call blocking, and if you know the number that they're coming from you can block that number. And they may try from other numbers, but that'll stop that number. If that's a number that's been calling you like the one that just said you got a bunch of different messages, you can block that number.
2: Yeah, thank you. The other thing is uh, if, you, if it's uh, depending on who the manufacturer of your computer is, sometimes a warranty can help you with that as well. I've had a uh, consumer say that that was helpful. So make sure you check your warranty, see how long it is, and, and if, you're, if the company can help you out to, to clean up your computer question right in the second row I don't want to on the right did you just real quick
14: you know I had a really interesting one uh what was it last week um it was a 617 number so I figured okay you know whatever I'll pick it up and it sounded like a real person on the other end of the line she asked me she goes are you or your mother there because I have questions about like breast cancer research, and I'm like, I don't know who you think I am, let alone who my mother is, but it really sounded like it was a real person. So, like, do some of these things actually use real people?
3: Yeah, sometimes they do use real people, so they're not always automated. Um, And sometimes, like, when you get notices and you call, you'll get a real person, um, that doesn't mean it's it's legitimate, so you just do have to look for the red flags yeah. and be really cautious, especially giving out any kind of personal information, which is sort of what we're going to talk about next related to identity theft. I think Janice is going to start us off.
2: Yeah, okay, so um, identity theft. Now, we've talked a lot about how you can get scammed, um, but... Now, what do you do? You were, let's say you were scammed. And a lot of people are embarrassed by it when it happens to them, but it happens to a lot of people. You should never be embarrassed about it because uh, it, it just it's something that happens. And once you realize that it's happened, it's, it's definitely the time to act. So um, obviously, the things we talked about, keep your social security card in a safe place, don't give up personal information, and uh, watch your accounts and check your credit report just to see, to to try to have this not happen. But once it happens, what do you do? Well, uh, first of all, you can call one of our hotlines, (laughs) the uh, Consumer uh, Advocacy and Response Division, and we can walk you through it. Uh, The first thing we tell people to do is file a police report. Why why file a police report? It seems like the police don't want to take in that report because it's just more paperwork for them. But it does give you some protections. It allows you, if something else happens with your accounts... You can, you can have a record that in fact your identity was stolen and this wasn't you who either purchased an item or, or did something else. So that's a really important one. In addition, uh, if you do file a police report, then you can um, file an identity theft um, uh, aff- affidavit with um, FTC and you can get protection for free with the FTC in that situation um, to put a fraud alert on it. Um, so do that first. By, in your, just your local police department. And contact your credit reporting bureau. You can contact any of them. There's TransUnion, Equifax, and Experian. You contact one of them, they have to contact the other ones. So it's just a one-time thing that you should do. Uh, in addition to that, to, to see which accounts are at risk. And if, you, if it's a bank account, contact your bank. Try to close the account. Or if it's a credit card, uh, cl- potentially close your credit card, depending on what the fraud is. And um, in addition to that, just uh, close any other affected accounts that you might have. And then watch your financial statements. See what's coming in. Make sure there isn't anything that uh, is uh, not what you s- spent money on or anything like that. So if you don't look at your bank statements every month and you wait a few months, it, it becomes a little bit more difficult to have the bank to, to make an agreement to take that off of your account, because then there's some question about whether or not it was you who spent the money. And uh, you do have more protections if you use a credit card than if you use a debit card. A debit card is like using cash, and you don't have the same protection. So that's something to keep in mind as well.
6: Uh. Okay. Right after Christmas, I got a call from Fraud Protection what Agency. Uh, my credit card, and it sounded a little legitimate to me uh from what they were telling me and indeed, I had been charged uh in Minnesota, where I had not been at Christmas, <laughs> so they gave they got me a new credit card and so I wondered about how that kind of um oversight of credit card accounts happens these days.
3: So I think it, this is Kim, I think it varies from your credit card agencies, but they're pretty vigilant these days looking for unusual activity on your account. Sometimes they'll automatically lock your account down until they speak with you. Sometimes if there's, you know, an ex, more, say four, say you make four uses of your card in the area which you live and it's unusual activity for you, that can raise a red flag. Credit card companies are getting, they're getting pretty savvy about looking for Um, unusual activity on your card, whether it's different locations or, you know, an excessive amount of use. And they'll typically contact you, but that doesn't sort of preempt you. The best thing you can do is monitor your statements as often as possible, because you're going to be the first one to spot any kind of unusual activity.
4: So this is Rose again. And so those that do online transactions, the one thing that you want to be careful of is making sure that the online transaction that you're doing is the right site, the right uh, website. Um, Because when you put things in Google, sometimes the first entity pops up. It may not be the entity that you're looking for. And you start adding things in there and here we go, we got identity theft. Um, Make sure that you know the actual website that you're going to, that you're putting your information in. You may want to even contact that entity and ask them, too, on the phone. I mean, this is just overkill, but this is what you may need to do, is to just call and ask them, is your website blah, 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 because it may be spoofed into. And that's where we have the spoofing information where folks have um, called your own phone number and say it was you. Websites can be spoofed the same way. So you got to be careful when you go online and just start putting information in. Um, One other thing I wanted to mention is that um, when um, you do the canceling your credit cards or so on and so forth, you would go to annualcreditreport.com and you can select the three credit reporting agencies that Janice mentioned um, to check your reports. One way to do it, to keep on on top of it all year round, is to select one at a time. So you go to Experian this month. Four months later, you go to TransUnion. Four months later, you go to Um, Equifax. All right. That way you can circle around throughout the year because not each, not every um, reporting agency reports to the same um, reports the same information. So this way you can track, look at the information, decide what is your actual information and what is not. You can dispute it. The credit card um, bureaus have 90 days to respond on the credit reports, okay?
0: You ready for a question? What's the
4: website for the law vehicle? Annualcreditreport.com. Annual credit report. thank you. Yeah. Right, and, uh, and that, now one thing to pay attention to, do not select free, because nothing is free, as I said before, all right? So if there's anything that says free credit score, credit scores are not free. This credit score is what determines how you get your interest and loans and stuff applied to your accounts. However, credit scores are not free. You do have to pay for those. Um, One other thing is when Janice was mentioning, too, to check all of your accounts, even your retirement accounts. Okay, You want to go and um, check that because if identity theft has happened, they have your social security number. You want to make sure that if you are working and you have a retirement or a pension or anything like that, you want to make sure that that stuff is still intact as well. Okay?
0: I've got a question and a comment. First off, uh, a good friend of mine, a member of the ACB Board of Directors, had his identity stolen. And before he knew what was up, they had racked up more than $100,000. So this is not small fry stuff we're talking about. Secondly, what part of the problem he created for himself was he was getting calls from, play, from companies saying that he was in arrear in payments mm-hmm. and he just ignored them rather than calling back those banks, not the numbers they left, but as you said, going to the website, getting the number and calling. What this individual or organization had done was stole his identity and then opened up new credit in his name and then didn't pay back that. And he is involved now in what is expected to be a five-year process. He's not paying back any of the money, but for those five years, he won't be able to get credit versus anything for all that period of time. So, again... Don't pick up the phone if you don't recognize it. I agree with that absolutely. But if you if some entity calls you and says that you're in arrears, it's best for you to contact that company directly and find out if there's a problem going on so you can stop it early rather than late.
3: The uh, the other thing, oh, this is Kim. The other thing you can do is place a credit freeze on your credit report. And what this will, and having the police report allows you to do this for free, so that's another reason why it's really important to file with the police. But putting a freeze on your credit report will prevent the identity thief from from taking out loans or, um, or doing certain activity that requires a creditor to pull your credit report. So if what happens is if you put a credit freeze on, and then someone goes to try and take out a loan or open a credit card, they the creditor can't pull. A credit, so they're not going to issue that loan or that credit card. So that's another thing that's really important to remember, and you can it when you right? Need. And you can unlock it when you need to. The,
14: this is Kim Charlson because I know our speaker is named Kim, also. Yes, um, and I just wanted to say, Rose mentioned getting your credit reports, um, and I stepped in a little late, but I'm going to take advantage of the fact to, to repeat that you can get your free credit report from any of the three vendors she mentioned in an accessible format because of work done by the American Council of the Blind. Yes, yes. So when you go to the, you know, my mycreditreport.com um, website or there's a phone number for it, which I don't have in my head, but I have it in my note taker and I can look it up and we can send it out on the listserv as well. But you are entitled to get it in your preferred format, electronic, braille, large print, Mm -hmm. any format you request. It is on the website, and the accessible format options are right there on the website, and you can select them.
4: You still you still can get the credit reports for free, but you have to do it strategically. You can't just... I mean, you can get all three at one time, but then if you get all three at one time, then you don't have a chance to monitor throughout the year. So it's easy to get all three. Right. No, but the thing is, what I'm saying to you is that once you do every four months of each of the different ones, you're able to keep track of the information that's on your credit reports that are being reported by different companies. Now, the one thing when we talked about the credit freeze, the credit freeze, you definitely need to have an identification number or letter or word or something for them to unfreeze that. If you uh, try to get some credit on your own and you forgot, the credit card company or the bureau will call you <laughs> to say, hey, who's doing this? So that's uh, another way to keep track of stuff as well. The other thing is if you do a an alert, you can get a free alert for every 90 days. So um, instead of doing the freeze, the alert will allow you to know if anyone's trying to pull credit on your accounts they will not be able to do it unless the um you decide that that's what you want to happen
7: and i like so to, um a,
4: yeah so that's hello? all that i have <laughs>
7: okay <clears throat> i'd like to make a comment here um it's charlie crawford i first of all i want to say that this the level of sophistication used utilized by some of these people is pretty um pretty good yeah. Yeah. i myself got uh turned on my computer, I got this flash on my screen about some deadly virus or something that was there, mm. and uh, called this number immediately in order to um, deal with it, and it was a Microsoft technician, authorized technician, mm. and so I called the number, and they said, well, you got blah, blah, blah virus, and never heard of it, and, um, you know, basically what they did was they said, let us get into your computer so we can fix it. So they got into my computer, and then he said, "Well, we can't fix it. We have to. We want to send you some kind of software antivirus thing. Only cost you four hundred dollars. <laughs> and if you act right now, we'll give it to you for like three ninety-five. <laughs> and not only that, but if you give us your routing number for your f- checking account." So at that point, my my lo- wife was very smart, sitting beside me. <laughs> she said, "You know." Forget that. Um, But the point is that they could have wiped us out. And my concern is that how is it that we don't hear about major prosecutions of these people so that they pay for what they're doing? I mean, this is outrageous. I hate to sound like Bernie Sanders, but
15: really.
4: (laughs) Okay. Charlie, thank you for that. And this is a problem. We understand that. Um, The FTC... The Consumer Financial Protection Bureau. These are all, a lot of these um, callers are calling international, as we know, and some of them are not. However, the federal government is doing things. If you go on FTC.gov, you will find that there is lots of information there that talks about what the FTC is doing to try to combat some of this stuff. However, it's a long process. And as long as we continue to report the information, we consumers report the information to the FTC, they are able to uh, go in and find out what's happening. The postal inspector as well. So if you get stuff in the mail and they send you checks in the mail, that's another thing. Um, The postal inspector is the persons that you want to contact. Um, I can give you that number. If you like, and then you can go to the postal inspector's uh, website. So it's um, the phone number is eight seven seven eight three. I'm sorry, eight seven six two four five five, and that's the postal inspector's phone number. So if you get checks in the mail, if you get letters in the mail that say you won money or you need to send money to a particular place, the postal inspector is who you contact. Okay, and also the FTC as well as Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, and their phone number is 855 411 2372. That's Consumer Financial Protection Bureau. Um, Again, these are federal governments, even though we are a state government, they are the ones that can possibly take care of these situations. More readily than us, because we don't have the resources in our state at this time to do that. But we're doing the best that we can. Rose, Yes. Hi. Uh, this is Shannon. Uh, you're giving out really valuable information, mm-hmm. and I'm wondering if um, microphone. Oh, I don't. I don't. I found
6: the microphone. Oh, Actually, yeah. go ahead and finish, and I'll take it back. To you. Oh, sorry. Where? Your right shoulder. There we go. Got it. Thank you, Jan. Um, I'm just saying, Rose has, and and the crew there have some very good information and I think it would be great if some of it could be compiled and maybe sent out and including what Kim has offered too um, to BSCB announce. So it's all in one place.
4: I sent some of the information to um, Frank and um, I believe Bob Hache has it. Um, it also is here in large print um, on paper and it will be on the listservs, I believe, um, sometime this week for ACB.
12: Thank you. Um, This is Deanne Elliott and I just wanted to make an observation or comment on a slightly related topic. I find that the biggest threat to my security isn't actually something that's external. It's a website that isn't accessible. And I need to get a third party involved in clicking a button or uh, helping me navigate through a form field. And in the process, the information that I would not willingly share with someone appears on the screen. And fortunately, I'm generally surrounded by honest people. But I think that's a threat to our um, security as blind individuals. There's just another point um, for us to keep in mind as we're advocating for Internet accessibility.
4: I'm, a- I'm asking you a question, Deanne. You're stating that a third-party um, security issue is happening. I'm not sure what you're referring to. Thanks. No, I
12: guess I'm referring to a website mm-hmm. that isn't Internet accessible because it isn't WCAG compliant. And then as I'm interacting with it, I find that there's one inaccessible element. Um, maybe I can't activate a button or a link doesn't work. So I call a friend or a family member or in some cases when I've really been um, very desperate to finish some transaction, I've even unplugged my laptop, schlepped it down to the lobby and asked the concierge in my apartment building if he'll click a button for me. And, you know, generally it's not a critically important website and I'm working with honest people. But I think there are ways that our information gets inadvertently shared. Maybe we've got a, you know, charge card number on there or a birth date or or some piece of information that we wouldn't voluntarily share with other people, but it gets shared in an indirect kind of way. And I I personally feel very uncomfortable with that. And I think it's another reason that we should um, keep in, another thing that we should keep in mind is we're advocating for the importance of Internet accessibility.
4: Okay. Um, Well, one thing that you also may need to pay attention to as well is that information is shared daily with Anyone that you interact with. So if you go to a grocery store and they tell you, oh, sign up here, you can get blah, blah, blah. Now you've shared your personal information. If you go to City Hall, if you own a home, or if you pay taxes, or if you go to voting registration, all this information is public knowledge. And so this information may be shared without you really thinking about it. So the most important thing that you can do, too, is make sure you shred any information, black out any information that you don't want, because there's also dumpster divers, too. (laughs) Okay? And they go into the trash, and they go into uh, your personal space. Look over your shoulder if you're at a computer at a public space. You have to be very, very cautious these days, and I'm so sorry that it sounds like, ooh, I can't go anywhere or do anything without somebody stealing my information, unfortunately. Five, five to go. Okay. All right. So, unfortunately, there's a lot of places that we need to be careful, and I'm so sorry that we can't just automatically say, oh, let me call my neighbor, and they can come over and look at our stuff. <laughs> so you've got to be careful. I'm so sorry.
15: Yeah, go.
16: I have sort of a question. Um, I, on occasion, I've been late with my credit card bill, so they call me for me to make a payment, and I had an argument with one of them because you know they want the last four digits of your social, and I say, why do I have to give you that? And they say, oh well. I said, how do I know that you're you know for real? And he, well, we wouldn't have your account number if we weren't. But I, I have a, why do I have to give them that? I mean.
2: Yeah, uh, some companies do require that still, and uh, it might be worth contacting that company and just, uh, and well, yeah, hang up and call back and make sure it is a legitimate company, but also, you know, speak with that company just to say, is there another way we can do this? And the more people that do that, the, the more likely it is that they're going to change what they're doing, because I, I agree that it is difficult, and, it, you know, if, if they have the last four of your social security number, th- there is other access that they may be able to get as well if it were a scammer, so.
0: This is Brian. A couple of quick comments about the, if you will, electronic security as Deanne was talking about on my phone. It's an iOS device and I, when I'm using voiceover can do a three finger triple tap and it turns off off and on the screen curtain. So I have my screen curtain on all the time. That means that screen is black to everybody else so they can't inadvertently see what I'm doing on my iPhone. Those of us who are using screen readers can take advantage of the ability to blank out screens because we're listening, we're not looking. And you really need to take advantage of that, especially in those public space situations. My good friend Rick there has a story about working on a computer while on an airliner and somebody two rows back, how far? 14 back, he was using screen magnification you understand so it was a lot easier for somebody to see his screen than most people's screen so just be a little leery of what's being displayed on those handheld devices in public places <laughs> so you got to be careful about those kind of things the other thing you have to be careful about uh, that's unique to us are there some great programs out there like be my eyes this and FaceTime, et etc., et where you can have somebody someplace else look for you for things. Well, be cautious about that as well. This is not a way to get somebody to tell you your PIN number and these kinds of things. Do it with a real human being, not some stranger over the internet. Uh, our friend Marlena Lieberg, we mentioned earlier today doing the history. She once was using... Be my eyes to figure out which was the right right bottle for shampoo. We did that last night in our hotel room. And unfortunately, she did it in front of a mirror while uh, halfway to the shower. So not all information you're revealing is in dots and decibels, you know. Uh,
2: Thank you. So, all right. Oh, yeah. I know that you've had your hand up, so.
15: Oh, I forgot your name. Okay. Well, um, I will talk to people afterwards, but I just want to say, on the other hand, there's so many phones and so many devices out there. Um, businesses always say, this call gets recorded and monitored for coaching and training development purposes. And sometimes, um, you know, my father used to say, well, don't call me back 10 times. Well... Sometimes I get a little bit nervous because I want to talk and I want to explain something or or, or something happens and you get angry or you say the wrong thing, it gets recorded. Recorded or monitored for coaching, you know, and you don't want to say anything. And for some reason, um, for those of us that still have landline, I don't know what happened, I mean, sometimes I like to check the time with the radio or the phone just so I can match it up with my keychain clock. Well, I notice when I call 637-1234, you get this uh, lady that comes on and says, the time and temperature is coming up. It's through Verizon now. I don't know. And then she gives this, like, they give these, like, commercials about Teen Mobile and Nutrisystems and... You know that's not that's never happened when you called the time on New England telephone, and that's never happened with Verizon. And I, I, you know, I, I, I think I don't like. I think this should be looked at. Thank you. But I will talk further at the end with other people.
2: Thank you. Okay, um, I think that they're telling us to wrap up. we we're. we're Available for questions, um, at, or we're going to leave materials in the back of the room as well. So um, thank you so much for having us. It's wonderful to be here. Great.
10: You're listening to ACB Radio Live event from the Burlington Marriott, Boston, Mass- uh, Burlington, Massachusetts, just outside of Boston. Bay State Council of if the Mr. Blind Convention. The
1: room, folks, the podium.
10: We have Commissioner Paul Sainer as the next speaker. Thank you, Carl. Just got my hotel room for the night. Huh? Good to see you, big guy. I'm on mic. What? Can't hear you, what? Okay. We have Commissioner Saner approaching the podium now. Uh, after Paul, I believe, is when we're going to have the reading of the Resolution. The second reading of the resolution, and then shortly thereafter will be the election. And the slate of officers, again, Brian Charlson for president, David Kingsbury, first vice president, Frank Ventura, second vice president.
1: Ladies and gentlemen, uh, at this point, I'm welcoming Mr. Paul Siena, I'm a Commissioner, Mass Commissioner for the Blind. He's going to give us the MCB update. Here we go. Thank you.
20: good afternoon everybody i'm pleased to be with you all once again i'm going to um, start by uh, saying that i'm very honored to be uh, in the same room as former commissioner crawford welcome back to massachusetts i'm going to um, give you all a very brief um, update on a couple of current events and uh, some things that we're working on and a few of our accomplishments last year and uh, my objective is to leave some time to uh, be able to uh, field some questions or uh, hear some comments. So let me start with the uh, consolidation of our fiscal and administrative functions. Throughout state government, the governor is putting a, um, a big emphasis on looking at business processes to be made more efficient and uh, that obviously extends to the secretariat that MCB is part of, Health and Human Services. Uh, so on January 11th, the commissioners of MRC, Defa hard of hearing, and myself sent out communications to our staff indicating that we were going to be embarking on a consultant facilitated um, review of how we do perform our fiscal functions with the objective of consolidating those. However, uh, the goal is to maintain the independent provision of services and, in so doing, to maintain the, um, the financial and the programmatic autonomy of each of the three agencies. And uh, there is verbiage to that effect on the EHS uh, website. So um, we are, uh, as I mentioned, at the beginning stages. I think that by the end of June, uh, there will be a report. We're going to be going about this in an open and transparent fashion. Uh, Beyond the communications that have already taken place, uh, a number of our staff will be uh, interviewed, and we will be communicating uh, to the union and ultimately to uh, the rank-and-file staff. The other timely update I want to give you is about uh, the Governor's House 2 budget. Uh, This is the initial uh, foray in what ends up being a five- or six-month process leading up to a final budget, hopefully by mid-year. MCB's budget has been proposed at a little over $22 million. Uh, That is down... Uh, about 68000 excuse me, $88,000 uh, compared to last year, and that's less than a half a percent reduction. Now, the reduction relates to savings from the early retirement incentive program last year. Uh, we did have a number of our staff uh, that did take advantage of that incentive program. Um, the Um, amount of savings from that are considerably greater than the small reduction in our budget, and the reason is that we do have within House 2 increases for a new turning 22 consumer and increases for those services uh, whose rates are being reset under Chapter 257, which has been uh, something that you've heard me talk about in previous years. Um, In my opinion, MCB can continue to maintain the same level of services based upon this proposed budget. So I wanna turn to um, give you um, some of the things that we're working on, and there's gonna appear as though we're heavily focused on vocational rehabilitation, and we are, but I wanna explain to you that it's not because we prefer VR over SR, but rather because there's uh, a lot changing there due to uh, the Workforce Innovation and Opportunity Act, WIOA, which again you've heard me talk about. That was uh, signed into law by the president in July of uh, 2014. Um, So um, under WIOA, Um, first of all, there have been no regulations that have been promulgated. So we are operating in compliance, or so we hope, with this law, but there is no uh, rules or regulations to inform us as to how precisely to go about that. Those regulations are now anticipated to be uh, promulgated in June of this year. I'll believe it when it happens. That's been delayed several times. Uh, There are, however, some very clear indications in the law uh, that have resulted in um, anticipated adjustments. So I want to review a couple of those. Um, First of all, um, as you've heard me say in the past, the law is very clear that non-pecuniary outcomes, which Uh, is a fancy way of saying homemaker outcomes will no longer be allowed under WIOA. Now, um, I was sponsored by MCB uh, to attend the Carroll Center back in 2000 for its intensive rehabilitation program as a homemaker. So um, obviously, uh, without having had that opportunity, it's very unlikely I'd be standing before you today because I wouldn't have developed the skills and the personal adjustments uh, to be able to resume employment. Um, We are still serving homemakers, and we will uh, anticipate doing that through uh, the end of this calendar year, assuming those regs come out mid-year because we have a six-month grace period There's a little bit of a follow the herd mentality amongst other blindness agencies and most are also still serving homemakers but I'm not aware of anyone that's anticipating that they will be able to continue to do that. The other big change under WIOA is its emphasis on students in transition and that creates great opportunities but also considerable challenges. Uh, Under WIOA uh, we are obligated to spend 15% of all federal VR funding that we receive on students in transition as defined as anyone over the age of 14 with an IEP or a 504 plan, meaning um, the uh, 15% uh, doesn't count once a student has graduated from special education. So the VR pie is the same size, but it's being re-sliced differently, meaning that uh, MCB, and this is true of every other uh, VR agency that I have talked to, is not spending anywhere near 15% of its Title I funds on students in transition. Uh, Obviously, that means that there will be uh, a slightly less pie available to our older VR consumers. Under WIOA, it's very clear that um, any expenditure relating to um, pre-employment transition services that are offered to groups of students counts towards the 15%. And so we've been working in earnest with the nonprofit community, uh, and not just those names that you would typically associate with blindness services like Perkins and Carroll, but others towards developing a broad array of group classes that students can participate in. And in fact, Carol and Perkins have de- developed, Uh, new out-of-school-time programming uh, on the weekends during the school year uh, to um, in response to, uh, we we always emphasis on students in transition. Um, In Massachusetts, um, and in particular at MCB, we're particularly challenged to get to the 15%. Uh, One reason is that unlike most other blindness VR agencies, we are restricted statutorily from not being able to serve those with visual impairment. I'll talk more about that. The other challenge that we face is that we have a very fragmented market for the uh, provision of blindness-specific special education services. And by that I mean we have 351 local school districts, um, my wife grew up in um, in Maryland. In Maryland, there are mega county school districts, so if you want to collaborate with special education, it's a lot easier in a state that's set up that way. In Connecticut and New Jersey, uh, the commissions for the blind employ the teachers of the visually impaired. In Massachusetts, the uh, TVIs and the orientation and mobility specialists that, that work with the students um, are. Um, employed some by Carolyn Perkins, but I think you'd be surprised to learn that that only constitutes about 30% of the market. Uh, So just being able to uh, communicate with, never mind collaborate with, special education is at a real premium here in Massachusetts. Um, So we are uh, embarking on a series of uh, adjustments and initiatives to address that. Uh, We'll be making some organizational adjustments later this year. Uh, We, um, for the first time a year ago, gave our uh, VR counselors releases to try to get uh, parents or guardians to sign that would allow our caseworkers to be uh, part of the educational team and, in particular, to be part of the IEP meetings, the individualized education plan meetings. Why do we want to be part of those meetings? Because we've got money to spend. And uh, if we don't get to 15%, then we're actually never going to get the money from DC to begin with. We're going to have to uh, show them that we've gotten to 15% before we get full funding. And so if we're on the inside, we're hopefully going to be in a better position to supplement what is still the legal responsibility under uh, federal IDEA um, for local school districts to do. So the law is very clear. Group classes do count. Without regs, everybody's reading the tea leaves with respect to the direct provision of services. We've always provided orientation and mobility services. It's just one example to older high school students because we feel that the O&M training that they get from uh, the local school district, while perhaps adequate for that student to get around uh, the school, is not, generally speaking, adequate for that older student to get around the community, to take public transportation, so that when they do graduate, uh, they'll be able to be independent on a college campus or hopefully a a place of employment. Um, Once the regs come out, we'll have a better sense of how far we can go with a direct provision of services. However, we've made a couple of adjustments already. So there's some magic words in the legislation that um, say uh, that pets group classes should be made available to those that are potentially eligible for VR. And so we've interpreted that as follows. We have actually uh, encouraged those students that are not legally blind but are visually impaired to participate in pets group classes and that has already begun at both the Carroll Center and Perkins. As another example, um, while as a heavily regulated agency, because we do get federal funding, we are still concerned about unsuccessful uh, outcomes, meaning opening up a consumer with multiple challenges and then not being able to close them successfully, again, we've interpreted this potentially eligible language to allow us to include in Pets group classes students, whether they're legally blind or visually impaired, uh, that um, do not have an open VR case. None of those will be registered with us. They won't be eligible for any benefits, and they won't be eligible for direct services. Um, But this is an opportunity for us to serve uh, more students with disability and to try to drive towards that 15% objective. Um, We are working very closely with the Department of Elementary and Secondary Education. We entered into a memorandum of understanding with them last year. Uh, We were required to do that under WIOA, but we were already well along the way before WIOA came out. That uh, freshened a 34-year-old MOU that was uh, the most recent one that MCB and elementary and secondary education had. Uh, Desi asked me shortly after I became commissioner to reconstitute the Braille Literacy Advisory Council. That's a statutorily mandated council to provide advice to Desi, as its name implies, around Braille. And um, this was very timely due to uh, uh, Unified English Braille, and so um, the BRLAC did great work last year um, uh, recommending to Desi how UEB should be implemented here in the Commonwealth. The MOU that we entered into, however, invited the BR-LAC to go beyond Braille and to provide advice to me and to DESI about all aspects of the expanded core curriculum. Uh, And so the BR-LAC this year has four uh, committees, and one of those committees is called the Collaboration Committee, and uh, its charge is to look at out-of-school time programming here in the Commonwealth. Where are there overlaps and where are there gaps? And of course, this is particularly timely as it relates to pets, because we want to make sure we have a broad array of opportunities for our younger consumers to take advantage of, lest we have to uh, return money to Washington. Um, And there's a lot of work to go as it relates to out-of-school time collaboration, Uh, I'll leave it at that. Um, Another initiative is relating to employment. So we got a grant from the Institute for Community Inclusion. Uh, It's called a Job Driven Vocational Rehabilitation Technical Assistance Center grant. That's a mouthful. Um, When you boil it all down, the project that we're undertaking is for us to more closely collaborate with both Perkins and the Carroll Center. And um, Perkins, as some of you may know, has launched the Perkins Business Partnership. Uh, This is a uh, great opportunity to uh, foster more uh, employment opportunities for blind consumers. Uh, There's a lot of components to it. Uh, And this uh, grant that we have through ICI is going to result in our having an integrated database around all employers in the Commonwealth that are so-called blind friendly. Any employer that has uh, actually hired a blind person or uh, provided an internship or maybe a mock interview or job channeling or on-the-job training or dropping down to the beginning level an employer that has at least opened up their place of business for one of the three agencies to go in and do in-service training so that they have a better sense of what blind people can do in the workplace and um, what some of the barriers or myths are that they need to get over. So I'm very, very pleased by the direction of that particular project And uh, unlike the out-of-school time uh, issue that I just referenced, there is sincere collaboration going on amongst the three agencies. Uh, Another initiative, and this one's really boring, but it's really important, is we got to get a lot better about long-term federal VR financial planning. Um, That hasn't been the case over the years, and it's created some issues that are very complex, that need to be very sensitively untangled. Uh, Obviously, WIOA, because of the 15% um, goal for pets, creates an additional dimension to the importance of long-term federal VR planning. Um, I want to uh, give you an update on the Talking Information Center, this time last year, Uh, there was a lot of controversy out there about the Talking Information Center. Um, As you uh, uh, might recall, MCB, since 2010, has been funding that service out of VR funds, and uh, we needed to come up with a plan to reduce and ultimately eliminate that. And I'm very pleased to report that over the last... Uh, 10 months, 11 months, I've been working very closely with Ron Bersani, the board chair at TIC. And uh, uh, our objective is for Elder Affairs to take over uh, TIC beginning in fiscal year 18. MCB will continue to fund it through fiscal year 17, but actually beginning July 1st, Elder Affairs is going to take over the contract administration. Uh, They're going to be given the money from us to fund the service, uh, as I just mentioned, for another year. Uh, TIC is um, going through an extensive strategic planning process. It's a um, consultant-facilitated strategic planning process, and I help them find the consultant that they hired. Uh, So I'm very pleased with the positive direction around that. Um, I mentioned that I would loop back to uh, visual impairment. So, in my opinion, for MCB to remain relevant, like most other blindness agencies, we need to be able to serve those uh, prior to legal blindness, especially those with a progressive eye condition and or a uh, dual sensory disability. So I've had preliminary discussions with the Commissioner of MRC and with the Secretary about this initiative. We're fairly far along developing a business case uh, that would ultimately allow us to provide direct services to uh, those with visual impairment, with a progressive condition, or dual sensory loss. Um, They would not be eligible for benefits. We can't undo our founding statute without uh, a tremendous amount of legislative action. So this is a workaround. And um, I'm hoping to be able to uh, put that in place as of the beginning of the next federal fiscal year in October. And I intend to sit down with the senior advocates of the blindness community once we've developed our business case uh, before I sell it within state government. randolph Shepherd vending program um, in Massachusetts. Our program is uh, performing way below national uh, standards. We hired a uh, nationally regarded consultant to come in last year and do an extensive evaluation of the program. He came up with 25 recommendations. You might have also heard that the governor is pushing very hard regulatory reform. Uh, this program, uh, because it has both federal and state laws, is with significant regulations that in- indeed do need to be reformed. However, we have gotten a, um, a reprieve from um, EHS to get that done when everything else needs to be done because we need to build out operating policies and procedures. There's nothing written down. The regulations point to um, various uh, standards, uh, and we need to, uh, as I said, fully document this program. Everything has to be reviewed by the Rehabilitative Services Administration. I'm getting the five-minute hook, is that correct? Okay, Uh, and um, uh, we will, over uh, the near term, be bringing in a full-time director to help us um, essentially modernize and document that program. We're hoping to be able to grow that program as well. Um, I do want to briefly touch uh, that um, we are looking for ways to spawn community-based technology training opportunities. There's really two vectors to that. One is through the Mass Council on Aging. We did last year do a couple of um, pilot AT Uh, training for small groups of seniors at senior centers. Uh, We're also working with uh, Kim and the Perkins Library, the Mass Board of Library Commissioners, the Massachusetts Library Association to try to emulate um, a remarkable um, community-based training uh, library uh, in Harwich, Massachusetts that is um, headed up by one of our consumers and you might have read about that in our recent annual report. Um, Internships remain a very significant component to our employment strategy. Last year was a record year for our summer internship program. There were 93. We went back over the last 12 years and looked at the outcomes for students that went through the internship program and more than a majority of them are now employed. Project SEARCH, we launched last year, the first agency of the blind to do this. Uh, Project SEARCH here in the Commonwealth, and rather than just doing one, we did two. Our employment partners were the Mass Eye and Ear Infirmary. In Cambridge Health Alliance, we had nine consumers, nine-month internship with job coaches and a job developer. Five of those consumers are now employed. Uh, The vendors for that were the Carroll Center and our newest contractual relationship, an entity called the Paula Center for uh, Social and Economic Development. Uh, We're going to be doing the same thing this year, beginning uh, later this month, at the same two employer sites. Um, I want to touch upon um, the Department of Developmental Services. I had heard for years prior to becoming commissioner about a data share that was just about to be done Um, that would determine how many consumers are DDS eligible that are also legally blind. Well, we actually got that done last year, and uh, there were 1,800 consumers that we have in common. We entered into two memorandums of understanding with DDS, one around maximizing our uh, waiver revenue, and I'm not going to go into the details of that other than to tell you that that's really important around budget time to be able to demonstrate to the uh, financial types that we're getting as much um, money back from the federal government as we can. The other MOU related to employment, the deputy commissioner and the head of uh, employment for DDS are working with MAB on, uh, it's just two consumers to start with that we're looking to put into uh, supportive employment. We have short-term federal VR funding for that and they have the long-term takeout funding. have I exceeded my time already? Well, maybe got two questions. Okay. So I want to close by uh, pointing out to you all that you should have received an annual report um, for people like Trisha Hart, who have been with the agency for a long time. This is the first annual report that they ever remember the agency turning out. Uh, for those of you that received it uh, via snail mail, that you would like to get it electronically going forward, we need your email address. Oh. We only have 1,400 email addresses. I'm very unhappy about that. I don't understand why our caseworkers aren't able to get more email addresses. Surely more than 1,400 of the 27,000 consumers use wow. email. So if you want to get it electronically, make sure your caseworker puts it in the system or call our central registry directly. I want to close by saying that. Um, Over the last five months, I've done 20 listening sessions throughout the commonwealth. Um, I'm midterm in my five-year appointment. It seemed like uh, an appropriate time to get some feedback. The feedback has been incredibly rich. We're going to be writing that up. One of the points of feedback is that consumers want more external communication. And so we're going to try not just to do annual reports going forward, but quarterly reports. But we're only going to make those available electronically. So, um, in the uh, spirit of uh, turning this into a very brief listening session, I'll—do I have time for one or two questions or comments? Okay.
8: Thanks for coming, Mr. Commissioner. This is Bob Hachet. Um It's been a wish of mine for a long time that MCB could provide more services to those who are not legally blind my concern however would be that if we're providing that service we're going to need a funding stream and hopefully we will and and just a quickie on the annual report i'm assuming that is available on your website
20: uh it is bob and on the funding side don't forget that we were spending serious money on homemakers that we're not going to be able to spend anymore yes it is thank you for mentioning that You know, thank you, thank you, Frank. I don't, even, I don't even know what it is. Yeah. Mass.gov/MCB. Okay. MCB. About time for one more. I have,
6: I have a question, um, Paul. Um, could you just talk a little bit about what you envision the type of service? MCB would be able to provide to visually impaired clients.
20: Um, well, if the um, initiative that we're undertaking is successful, they would get the full range of services that any blind consumer would get. But again, we're starting with just those consumers with a progressive eye condition and/or dual sensory loss. They would not be eligible for any statutory benefits, however. Okay. Thank you all very much. Um, I, hope, I hope you, you enjoy you the rest of the conference.
1: I'm going to turn the podium back to uh, President Brian Charlson.
0: Okay. A couple of things I want to make clear. One is there are opportunities in change, many opportunities. In speaking with uh, the affiliate down in Kentucky, Kentucky Council of the Blind, they are now providing a PETS program. So I'm going to be challenging the board, assuming elections go the way I hope they do, I'm going to be challenging our board to see whether or not maybe Bay State Council of the Blind, through all the skills you ladies and gentlemen have, can offer opportunities. How many times was it important for you as you were growing up that you knew a blind adult, a successful blind adult. Now, I know that members of this organization are offering their support for both programs being provided by the Carroll Center for the Blind and by Perkins, but we might be able to add to the mix directly by Bay State Council of the Blind providing an opportunity to help youth learn what it's like to be a successfully employed blind person from the mouths and from the experience of blind people themselves so it's those kind of opportunities i hope we take over next we have in the program a 15 minute break so what i and we also have them remember in the program a constitution and bylaws which you heard earlier we don't have one to deal with so assuming that the bottled water as we promised is available right frank hello frank he was there just a minute ago. He just stepped out. Is the bottled, is the bottled water out so we can take our break now? Would it be in the back of the room? It would be in the back of the room. Where the coffee was. Where the coffee was. Okay, that's fine. That's fine. So, ladies and gentlemen, there are pitchers of ice water and glasses at the back of the room. Be gentle now, okay? I've already been doused twice this weekend with cold ice water. So, just be careful. So, we're going to... Good. Frank?
1: I'm going to go to break now.
0: So, ladies and gentlemen, we are going to take our break now. We are going to be back at 310, 310, 310. And then we are going to begin business. And during the business session, we must conclude at 5 p.m. for the hotel to have sufficient time to turn around space, etc., etc., let me so just reiterate: we
1: actually have to be we have to vacate here by five p.m.
0: Yes, we need. Well, no, I'm going to give you five minutes. Five minutes. out of here. Five so, minute fire drill. Keeping <laughs> in mind that we are now recessed until three ten. Three ten. Please be sure
10: to have your. Back. Okay, this is ACB Radio Live event. <laughs> My name is Rick Morn, and I'm here. At the Burlington Marriott, we're having the 2016 Bay State Council of the Blind Convention. Bay State Council, of course, is the Massachusetts affiliate of the American Council of the Blind. And there are some instructions being given to to everybody regarding uh, what happens when when the day concludes today. We have to end exactly at 5 o'clock, so we will have everybody out of this room at 5 o'clock so that they can uh, reprovision the room uh, for uh, the banquet tonight. So we will be signing off at 5 and then be coming back. Uh, When the banquet starts, probably uh, I imagine about 7.30 is when the banquet speaker will will start. I think awards are scheduled for 8 o'clock. So at about 5 o'clock, we're going to sign off. I'm going to go take a nap, um, and uh, we will be back. So we are on break now for the next 15 minutes. Uh, the business that remains for the day today is a voting on the resolution, uh, which, interestingly enough, Mr. Sayner, the commissioner, spoke uh, about some of that issue um, that – I think our resolution is, um, I don't know if our resolution opposes some of the stuff that the, that the commission is doing, but certainly it's, it would render some of those things uh, matters of discussion, let's say. So we've got that resolution to, uh, to uh, either accept or and or amend and or pass and or reject. And then we have the election election. Um, Again, I was saying earlier what the slate of candidates were uh, when the session started previously. The uh, the nominating committee returned the names of Brian Charlson for president, David Kingsbury for vice president, for first vice president. Uh, Brian is serving as the uh, the current president uh, as a result of Marsha Dresser. Uh, her untimely um you know death last year um david kingsbury has been serving as first vice president so he's nominated for first vice president frank ventura is nominated as second vice president frank currently is a director of the organization uh jerry barrier has been nominated for secretary and rick morin yours truly has been nominated for treasurer um the election um, will have an opportunity for nominations to be submitted from the floor. And uh, if there are any nominations submitted from, from the floor, then there will be a ballot that will be distributed. And it's a pretty straightforward process, typically. And we should be out here about 5 o'clock, so tonight's dinner should be uh, should be kind of fun. Um, uh, Charlie Crawford's going to speak again, I believe, for dinner. He's going to be our dinner speaker. Um, we've got two meat selections. I think we've got a chicken and a beef selection and a vegetarian selection, so I know which one that I'm not getting, and I know which one that Jeff Bishop's not getting. It's definitely not the vegetarian one. Um, I think the beef selection is beef short ribs. So now that would be something good, beef short ribs. I bet you they would be great done in an Instapot. I bet you they would be really, really good done there. So hold on just one second. Okay, one of the ALDs was returned. (laughs) So now we've got an extra ALD. ALD ALDs assistive listening devices. At this year's convention um, in Minneapolis, Uh, one of the things that we are very committed to do is to get the ALD equipment to operate, to function uh, as well as it possibly could. Um, Every time we've had one of these events that I've been involved with, we've been Trying different configurations and testing things, we test things uh, in sort of a somewhat of a laboratory setting, and then we test them in a live event like today. And uh, every time we test them, there's always some new variable that gets introduced that we weren't expecting. So um, we will hopefully be well prepared come uh, come July for the convention. Understand that in Minneapolis, there's a very large population of uh, people who are. Uh, both uh, visually and uh, sight-impaired um, dual-disability folks, um, deaf-blind folks, uh, who we expect to be attending the convention. So that will be be exciting, and the technology will be very important for them. So we're, uh, we're very committed to making that happen. One of the good things that happened this year was through the, um, through J.P. Morgan, we were able to get some grant money to be able to replenish some of the equipment both for ACB radio, um, we're buying some new recording equipment for ACB radio, but also buying some new uh, assistive listening device equipment um, to replace, actually to augment the stuff that we have and to allow us to be able to operate more ALDs simultaneously. Uh, that's one of the challenges is to, these things all operate on RF, they all operate on radio frequency, so one of the challenges is how do you separate these, Transmitters enough, um, both physically and on different frequencies, so that you can um, have uh, people listening uh, independently in in individual rooms without interference between the rooms. Um, That is a lot easier said than done. So uh, I thought the attorney general's presentation was very uh, illuminating, let's say, today. That was very, 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 very interesting. Um, I, for one, have been called on this grant scam recently, and uh, uh, I think they called me like three or four times in a week. Um, I, had, I had somebody call me a few years ago, and this was, this was kind of fun. It was somebody who called me from the IRS and said that um, she actually called me to make an appointment with me. And I never knew if this was ever legit, because when it came time for the appointment, it was going to be a telephone appointment, and I never, uh, I was around when the call came in for the telephone appointment, but I chose not to take it at the time. There was a the woman who called me and said that uh, the IRS, in reviewing my records, uh, found back in the 70s when I was working, when I was in college, that uh, more taxes were taken out of my paycheck, and more taxes were, were withheld, and uh, I paid more taxes than what I should have and that they wanted to sit with me and review with me uh, my previous tax returns, and ultimately I, w- I would get some refund. Now, um, and, and they set up a time, and they gave me a th- actually they gave me a phone number to call them. And I uh, a year after <laughs> that whole thing happened, I called the number, and the number no longer existed, which led me to believe that it was a scam. But. Um, You know, if things sound too good to be true, uh, 99.99999% of the time, uh, they are too good to be true. So just bear that in mind. Nothing is free. Nothing is ever free. We are in the western suburb of Boston, not too far from where I live. uh, The Boston in Burlington, Massachusetts. Uh, right next to Burlington Mall. Uh, the address of the hotel is 1 Burlington Mall Place. That's hard enough to remember. Easy enough to remember. Um, ladies and gentlemen, check your badges. No dotty, no votey. No dotty, no votey. If you
0: don't have a dot on the card that is your name badge, you should locate it by sliding your finger inside the front edge on the upper... Right as you're looking at now, it. Now I, I got a I got a star too. Does corner. that mean
10: I'm special?
0: Only a dot if you're a member of Bay State Council.
10: Hey Jerry, what does the star mean? Do you know? Yeah, that's for sponsors. Yeah, and oh, that's a sponsor. The way to okay. Feel that okay. is not
0: on the outside of the folder, but inside I just, the folder. I thought I just got a gold
10: star for something.
0: Pasteboard card that your name is on. It would be in the upper right hand corner as you look at it. I haven't gotten upper a gold star. for Left hand corner is your feet.
10: Huh? <laughs> <laughs> What'd you say?
9: <laughs>
10: I have a mistake. <this> <laughs> <laughs> They'll never do it again, Rick. <laughs> yeah, Jerry said, I got the gold star for good behavior, but they made a mistake. So that that sounds about right. That sounds about right. So we're going to be in our, our last session here um, uh, of the day. And like I said, we're going to end abruptly at 3 o'clock, at 5 o'clock, actually. So, again, ACB Radio Live event. Thank you very much for listening, Um We've had quite a bit of, of um, coverage the last few weeks uh, here in ACB Radio Live event. ACB radio, ACB radio Live event is a stream of ACB radio and is available to affiliates and outside organizations um, and uh, also to ACB itself to be able to bring uh, various events to you live and then... One of the real values of what we do, too, at ACB Radio is uh, the archives of these events are available uh, in, uh, forever for all practical purposes, and uh, you can refer back to the, to these things. Um, uh, if you're attending the session in person and you tend to nod off, which I think a few people have done today, you can always go back to the archive and, uh, and, and listen to it again, but it's... Uh, It's really, really valuable stuff. One of the things we've had great, great success with um, in ACB Radio has been uh, making archives available for download, podcasts, that type of thing. And on the ACB Radio Interactive side, we've introduced something called ACB Radio On Demand. Um, Unfortunately, um, and it's not really unfortunate, this is just the way the music industry works, Um, As you know, in ACB Radio Interactive, we play commercially available music most of the time, and uh, the station, ACB Radio Interactive, has to pay and does pay uh, some license fees for the use of that music. We pay that through a third party. Um, In so doing, we are licensed to perform that music uh, when it's broadcast on the air uh, and, and when it's streamed, but not... We are not licensed to be able to distribute that music uh, beyond uh, our streaming of it. So ACB Radio On Demand gives us the ability to uh, allow you, after the fact, after a show has been broadcast live, to listen to a show, again, not by downloading it, but by streaming it uh, through a uh, player that sits on the website on web page. And as an example, uh, the Yin Yang Show, which I haven't been talking too much about, but Yin Yang is every Thursday night, 6 and 9 p.m. Uh, Mr. Brian Charlson and myself, we do that every week. Last week, we had Jeff Bishop as one of our guests and had a lot of fun with Jeff. And again, I, I salute Jeff for the great job he did this morning uh, presenting, doing the ACB presentation. He was really giving Kim a hard time at lunch today, too, saying, you know, Kim, I, it would have been so much better had, had you not been in the room. But uh, I don't think he could have done much better than he did. He did fantastic. But um, the whole on-demand thing is uh, a great way to be able to listen to shows. Uh, if you go to acbradio.org slash yinyang, Y-I-N-Y-A-N-G, you'll see the archives of all the Yin Yang shows. Um, uh, I think, believe the archive started uh, November, December, something like that. They were up, uh, that are loaded on demand. Some of some of our favorite shows uh, that we've done recently were the New Year's Eve shows. So if you're looking for a, a couple yin yang shows to listen to for the first time um, and have some good laughs, uh, go ahead and, and pull those down, or not pull them down, but listen to them on demand. I see Brian at the podium. I have a feeling he's going to be... Two-minute
1: warning, please. Take your seats, please.
10: Two-minute warning. One thing uh, that I have to comment on is we've been very good at adhering to the schedule today. Um, And uh, that's been very, very good. We had uh, one thing I still uh, am a little disappointed about is that we weren't able to bring you Vanda Pharmaceuticals presentation uh, in the morning because of their prohibition uh, for broadcasting outside of... um, the united states boundaries apparently there is a law that i was never aware of that says that um, pharmaceutical companies cannot uh, promote themselves
1: can i have attention please no i have two quick announcements before i turn the podium back to president charleston here's first one is if you've never attended a bay state spring conference please folks if you've never attended the bay state spring conference you are a first timer here we're pleased to have you for breakfast, with the first time is breakfast. That will be at 7.30 a.m. in front of the restaurant. Oh, hell, That's I'm going to go I'm going I'm to go anyways.
10: I'm going to go. go bust the party. Also, second announcement
1: involves tonight, so please pay attention. At 6 p.m., there will be a cocktail hour, and there's been a venue change. It will be directly across the hallway from here in Salon G2H where the uh, exhibits are. So it's directly across the hall from these, these doors right here. That's at 6 p.m., and then the banker will be back in this room at 7 p.m. So, uh, however, it takes time for the, for the staff to reconfigure this room, so please don't come in too early. There will yeah. be two bars. Yeah. going okay, so, uh, well, to be two bars. Okay, so break time is now officially over. I'm going to turn it back to President Charlson.
0: Here you go, folks. Back to Brian Charlson. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, now comes the time when you get to. Take advantage of that little dot on your name badge. Everybody has a name badge who intends to vote. Yes? yes? Okay. Everybody's checked to see if they got a little dot on it. Yes? Okay. So when I speak to the individuals who will be passing out cards when there is a contested vote, I want them to be careful only to give a card ballot to those who have their name badge on with a green dot on it. Okay? So, okay. You're, you're aware of what I'm referring to. Yes, right? yes. You gotta have that. That's all, that's all we need. <laughs> all right. So, now, the first order of business in this business meeting of Bay State Council of the Blind is the second reading of the resolution and debate on its adoption. So, for that, I'll bring to the mic Bob Hache, chair of that committee.
15: Okay.
8: Thank you, everybody. Before I get into the resolution, um, I want to thank my committee. Um, That would be Mary Haroyan and Brian Charleston. So here we go. We're going to read this all the way through, and then we shall consider it, and we'll see what happens. Resolution 2016-01, categorical. Sure, sure. Okay. This good? Okay. It sounds like I'm distorted, but Okay. All right. Okay. Uh, Resolution 2016-01, categorical services for people who are blind and visually impaired. Whereas, since 1906, vocational rehabilitation and social services have been provided to blind and visually impaired residents of the Commonwealth of Massachusetts by a commission for the blind and whereas... This arrangement allows for direct consumer input by means of a governor-appointed rehabilitation council, and whereas effective rehabilitation of blind and visually impaired persons requires a unique set of skills training in areas such as orientation and mobility, managing activities of daily living, braille, assistive technology, and incidental learning, and whereas studies by Mississippi State University have proven that the most effective vocational rehabilitation and social services are provided by categorical services agencies which specialized in these unique skills areas, and whereas Governor Charles Baker, who in 1996 wrote a paper that recommended that services provided by a number of disability agencies be merged so as to provide these services more efficiently is now considering the combining of disability agencies, including the Massachusetts Commission for the Blind, the Massachusetts Rehabilitation Commission, and the Massachusetts Commission for the Deaf and Hard of Hearing, and, deep breath, whereas the Bay State Council of the Blind, BSCB, is concerned that this type of Of merger will both will diminish both the service level currently provided by our Commission for the Blind and the opportunity for direct consumer input afforded by the Rehabilitation Council. Now therefore be it resolved that the Bay State Council of the Blind believes that vocational rehabilitation and social services should continue to be provided to blind and visually impaired residents of the Commonwealth by a separate and distinct Commission for the Blind, and be it further resolved that BSCB is strongly opposed to any attempts by the governor or the legislature to combine any of the direct service budget line items of the Massachusetts Commission for the Blind with the line items of other agencies. The Resolutions Committee recommends do pass, and I so move.
0: There's a motion and a second to adopt the resolution as distributed. Uh, Let me first ask, well, remind you that we have a limited time for debate. PJ has agreed to act as our timekeeper. So... Bob, in as much as your committee made the recommendation, you would be the first one to speak in the affirmative, and I would follow that by recognizing a speaker in the negative. First, Bob Hache. Okay. uh,
8: This is an issue that we have dealt with before, um, for the first time in the late 90s and a couple of times since. Uh, We do know that there have been certain combinings that have happened, for example, all three of the agencies that I mentioned, that is MRC, MCB, and MCDHH, are located in the same building and that they do share some of the human resources functions. But it has always been the belief of BSCB leadership that while these issues may be slightly concerning, that the only real issue would come if they were to combine the budget line items so the direct services were to be provided by a combined agency and one of the ways i can tell you that this would be a diminution of services is what happens if i call the commission for the blind i either get to speak to a person or they usually call me back pretty quickly I tried a couple of times in, in my days in the Disability Policy Consortium to reach out to and talk with MRC, a much larger agency, and let me tell you, it was much more difficult to get to speak
0: with a human being in that agency. Thank you, Bob. Is there any call for the, to speak from the floor? I believe it's Sharon Strakowski, correct?
6: It's, it's not an against. Is that all right? Right. No, if it's
0: a point, point of information, that's fine. Information. Okay.
6: I just wondered if, if something has ratcheted up again um, in this regard, because as you say, we've had a lot of scares like this before. Um, Understood. Is, and is it because uh, what Paul was saying about administrative functions um, being put together, which I did hear about?
0: Yes. In fact, during the mid-year meetings of ACB down in Washington, D.C. last week, during the president's meeting, I was on a panel. The discussion was, what is the importance of separate agencies for the blind? And specifically, my area of concern is maybe the consolidation doesn't happen all in one swell foop, (laughs) but it creeps. The first creep was co-location. Well, you're in the same space. You know, what's the difference? You can just come in and share a receptionist, share meeting space, share this, share that, and pretty soon you are sharing staff, and then you are using more and more generalist and fewer and fewer specialists. And what is the primary thing the commission does? It allocates funds to pay for services. What are they talking about consolidating? financial management. It's a huge, huge step toward consolidation. And as the resolution speaks to uh, I can't remember which whereas, the governor has already issued a paper in years past indicating it is the best way to achieve efficiencies to combine agencies. And this is his administration that's looking to do this. I think that's a fair and honest statement as to why we brought this resolution before you today. Anybody wish to speak against or in favor? I hear a question from Jan Remus in the back. Can we get her a microphone? One moment, a mic's coming to you. Okay,
11: thanks. In the third whereas clause, Braille should not be capitalized. And in the sixth, whereas clause, there needs to be a closed paren after BSCB.
0: We'll take those both as housekeeping amendments. We
8: speak also to something okay. else. Uh, yep. I, 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 hold, hold. Hold. Nope. That's right. You, you know what? I was just going to speak to that, Chris, because on the copy that is in my computer is not the same as the one you have here. I added a very important phrase that was neglected, which is uh, after BSCB, before we believe in whatever it is we believe in, it says assembled in convention this fifth day of March in Burlington, Massachusetts. I yes, have a,
19: subta- a substantive um, thing that might be a friendly amendment. Who speaks? TC Brazil. TC, go ahead. Uh-huh. Um, there's a reason why uh, people w- who are blind and have uh, multiple impairments, such as deaf blindness, are uh, included under um, the MCB and not the Commission for Deaf and Hard of Hearing. It's because everything is very visually oriented for uh, the mainstream people who are deaf. And uh, that leaves very little help for people who are deaf and blind. And you'll notice all the deaf-blind programs are attached to blind schools, not to deaf schools throughout the country. There's a reason for that. So in the first uh, Be It Resolved, I would like for us to spell that out to blind and visually impaired residents and blind multi-impaired residents.
0: We're going to accept that as a friendly amendment. Thank you. Any further calls for the floor? Oh, um,
6: Brian, I did, its just a point of information.
0: Um, uh, again, I'm just as a for future reference, when you get the mic, you need to identify yourself. I, I was said about that to before. thank you. Please. Sorry,
6: and Donna, is—is um, is this a sort of a preventive measure? Is that why we are doing this
0: today? I would say that that describes it pretty well, Ann. Proactive. It's proactive instead of reactive, exactly.
11: Got it. Thank you. Okay, we
0: have another hand up. We have another hand up.
12: Thank you. Hi, this is Deanne Elliott, and I just have a question. You mentioned the 1996 date for Governor Baker's paper, and. The white paper that I think I remember reading had a different date on it. I think it was 2001 or 2002. Are those two different papers you're referencing? Or is that the one? I,
8: I think they are because the one from 1996 was during the Weld administration when um, Baker was at that time the Secretary of Administration and Finance. And as a matter of fact, that was the impetus that gave birth to, to the Disability Policy Consortium and at which, for, I mean, one of the things that we did was we stormed the governor's office and we got the governor to come out and speak with us. Um, I'm not aware of the 2001 paper. I'm aware of various attempts to do co-location. I didn't know there was a white paper in 2001 on the issue, but that is a different occurrence.
12: Okay, thank you.
8: Occurrence, yep.
0: As as I heard Carl Richardson say out there, there was a white paper Under the, what's the name of the, the Pioneer
7: Institute, which is a a, a, a conservative think tank. So he he wrote, he's written several papers, not necessarily all to do with consolidation of health and human services, but the one in 96 does have to do with health and human services. There was another one from later on at the, he's written several papers. At one time, he was an employee of the uh, Pioneer Institute.
0: There you go. All right. Any further debate? What what? Hold on. Okay. I hear a male's voice in the back. Okay. Bruce. Oh. So raise your hand so we can get you a microphone. Again, always identify yourself. Okay. I'm coming. Bruce. The mic.
18: Okay. Thank you. Uh, Brian, um, I, I'm i just wondering if we shouldn't reference that second paper as well at DN and now Carl's confirmed from 2002 because it definitely did address this same issue from my reading of it. It's it, very much spoke to the consolidation of these um, uh, the services that we're talking about. We could say
0: papers published in 96 and 2001. I think 2002 was 2002. the second published We'll double-check that date. exact date. Yep.
18: That's all I wanted to say. Today. So
0: I would accept that as a friendly amendment. Yep. And now Sharon Strakowski, this will be the last speaker.
6: Thank you. Um, thank you. I'm, I'm wondering to whom this resolution is going to go. And would be legislators, the governor's office?
0: Right. Some resolutions, they put a long list of who it's going to. This resolution was open-ended because we think there are a number of entities we need to share it with rather than giving that long litany of them. It will be going to the board and the board will establish the best way to distribute it to the legislature, the governor's office, and appropriate parties, which may include, by the way, federal agencies who have oversight on this issue. Okay, time has elapsed. The question now arises to adopt this resolution, again, as amended through friendly amendment, So all those in favor, signify by saying aye. Aye. All those opposed, no. Let the record show it was unanimous. Thank
10: you.
0: All right. The next item of business is elections. So I need to have David Kingsbury up here as first vice president to preside over the first component, and I'd like Deanne Elliott also to join me up here to give a second announcement of the slate of candidates from the nominating committee. We'll give them
10: a moment to get up here. This is ACB Radio Live event. You're hearing the voice of Brian Charlson, who is the current presiding officer over at the convention and also the sitting president. And we are going to have an election for the officers of the Bay State Council of the Blind. So Deanne Elliott, who is the head of the nominating committee, will again recite the slate of candidates that they brought forward. And David Kingsbury will preside over the election of the president since Brian is the person that the nominating committee nominated for president. And I will turn you over to Mr. Kingsbury.
12: Good afternoon. So a rereading of our slate of candidates for the 2016-2017 calendar year board. For president, we have Brian Charlson. First vice president, David Kingsbury. Second vice president... Frank Ventura, Secretary Jerry Barrier, Treasurer Rick Morin, uh, Director Jim Denham, and another director, Rose Miller. Are there any questions? Thank you. I'm sorry, this is Deanne, Deanne Elliott.
13: Okay, so we're going to start with the president, and as you have heard, uh, Brian Charlson's Brian Charlson has already been nominated. So, are there any nominations from the floor? Are there any nominations from the floor? Last call. Are there any other nominations from the floor? Any seconds? Oh, and that would be elect Brian Charleston president by acclamation. Okay. So for those who would like to elect Brian by acclamation, say aye. Aye. Opposed? Brian. You lose. Okay. (laughs) Brian is elected by acclamation.
0: Very good. Thank you very much, ladies and gentlemen. I appreciate that show of support. And again, a president simply acts as the voice of the organization and helps keep things rolling. It can't be done without the help of each and everybody in this room and those who weren't lucky enough to share this afternoon with us. Now we move to the position of first vice president. The committee has placed into nomination the name of David Kingsbury. Are there any other nominations from the floor? Are there any other nominations from the floor? Are there any other nominations from the floor? A motion is made to close nominations and elect David Kingsbury by acclamation. And seconded, all those in favor signify by saying aye. Aye. All those opposed, no. And David, congratulations, your first Vice President. Would you like to say something, David, or shall we move on? Up to you. Uh, We're going to move on, and then we'll give a chance for people to speak after the case. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right, now we move on to the office of second vice president. The committee is placed into nomination as second vice president, Frank Ventura. Are there any nominations from the floor? Are there any nominations from the floor? Third and last time. Are there any nominations from the floor? Hearing none? Motions made and seconded to elect Frank by acclamation. All those in favor signify by saying aye. Aye. All those opposed, no. Thank you very much and congratulations, Frank. For secretary, the committee has placed in nomination the name of Jerry Barrier. Are there any nominations from the floor? Are there any nominations from the floor? Third and last time, are there any nominations from the floor? Hearing none. Bob, come on. You're falling asleep over there. A motion has been made and seconded to elect Jerry Barrier Secretary by acclamation. All those in favor signify by saying aye. Aye. All those opposed? No. And therefore I declare Jerry Barrier reelected as Secretary of Bay State Council of the Blind. The final officer position, that of Treasurer. The committee has placed into the nomination the name of Rick Moran. Are there any nominations from the floor? Are there any nominations from the floor? Third and final time. Are there any nominations from the floor? I move the nominations be closed and Rick be elected by acclamation. A motion's been made and seconded to elect Rick Moran, Treasurer of Bay State Council of the Blind, by acclamation. All those in favor signify by saying aye. Aye. All those opposed by saying no. Congratulations, Rick Morin. Now, for the first of two board positions, the committee has placed into nomination the name of Jim Denham. Are there any nominations from the floor? There's a motion to nominate Chris. Now, we have other Chris's. So which Chris are you referring to? Chris Devon has his name placed into nomination. Are there any other nominations from the floor? Any other nominations from the floor? Hearing none, we'll proceed to the process of speaking for nominees. The first nominee was Jim Denham. And who can repeat to me what the rules are? Four minutes total per candidate. They may divide up as they will amongst two individuals, and they may speak for themselves. So, Jim, can you indicate the two people that you've asked to speak for you? Um,
18: this will be myself and uh, President Brian Charlson.
0: All right. So, uh, PJ, are you ready?
18: Yes. Okay. Jim, you may begin. Good afternoon. Um, I come here today seeking your vote for a for to, to be a member of the directors for the Bay State Council of the Blind. I've been an active member of ACB uh, for over 20 years. And I really believe in ACB, I re- and, and by you know, nomination, I believe in, in Bay State Council of the Blind. Um, I think this is a wonderful organization. It's an organization that I will work hard for, I have worked hard for. Uh, I've been chair of the fall conference. I was a registration coordinator for the spring conference. As many of you know, I handed you your name tag. Um, I'm a member of the ACB national Twitter team. But what I really want to do as a member of the board is to bring all of you together into this organization. You know, ACB is much stronger when we can be a choir. And BSCB is much stronger when we can be a choir of voices. And I really want to work to get everyone who wants to be involved involved. And I want to have you participate and help out and get your ideas, get your thoughts. Because we are an organization of individuals, but we're much better when we're an organization together. So I would ask for your vote, and I would really appreciate uh, your confidence in, uh, in inducting me at the Board of Directors of Basic Council of Blinds. How much time remains?
0: Ladies and gentlemen, I'm pleased to support the nomination of Jim Denham as a member of our Board of Directors. He stepped in for the unexpired term of David Kingsbury, when he was elected first vice president after the passing of our president and the shuffles on the board that were necessary. During the time that Jim has been a resident of Massachusetts, he proven himself on all levels of the organization. He is currently the chapter president of the Charles River chapter and has done an excellent job of bringing us speakers, keeping us on topic, and keeping us engaged. When it came to putting together all of the things necessary to keep a chapter alive and doing well, Jim was there. Those of you who were at the fall conference saw a pretty amazing thing take place. We were too big for the space we got. It's been a long time since that's been the case in the Bay State Council of the Blind, and I contribute a great deal of that to the time and effort that Jim Denham put into making that all possible. Lastly, you saw him here doing registration. On my name badge, I have a little dot that helps me know that I'm a qualified voter. That's an innovation brought from the ACB national to local. On your badge, if you were a donor, you've got a star on your badge. Innovation, Jim Denham, and his activities associated with this organization. Again, in terms of his activities... And what he can bring to this organization, he brings one thing that we desperately need to remember to take into consideration, and that's new voices and new faces. Please support Jim Denham. Next, we have Chris Devon, and who are the two that will be speaking for you? I'm going to, hand
17: to the mic. Okay. I'm just going to speak for myself.
0: Very good. Chris, you have the floor. Okay.
17: Thank you. Um, certainly, we have seen a lot of negative campaigning on the national level, and I I'm not going to engage in that and neither has Jim and I think that's a credit to us and the way it should be done. Jim's done a lot of good work here and I don't think anybody can deny that. I think that what I bring to the board is an attention to detail, uh, a lot of experience and also reminding people that not everybody is tech savvy or very, I'm a technology tenderfoot myself and I do some stuff with it. uh, You know, Marsha and Steve got me going on email, do a little of that at work But I think sometimes things can get a little complex for some of the members, and they're not always getting all the information. Sometimes the lists are not as complete as they should be, and and they don't even know they're not on a list, or they get things. Some people get things, and other people don't get things. There was a situation where one of our chapter members got an agenda, a Braille agenda, or, well, she got it Brailled up, but an agenda last week that we didn't get uh, somehow, so which we was good to have we got a chance to talk about it and when we were doing the candy stuffing but um why did that happen we don't really know so things like that sometimes fall through the cracks i would also say that i'm from the south shore chapter and i think uh, it's good to have all the chapters represented there's other ways to do that we can talk about that in other other circumstances uh, in the future but um, I think it's, we've got plenty of representative for Jim, representatives for Jim's chapter, and I think it's important so that we're not out of the loop uh, being one of the chapters. And finally, uh, again, attention to detail when um, and not, not leaving any stone unturned. We were having a discussion last month, and I don't think people intentionally forgot to mention it, but we were talking about ride, um, getting the ride uh, you know, in different ways, not just having the vans and the cars that we have now. And somebody would talk about Lyft and Uber, and I said, well, not everybody's got an iPhone. These are the kind of reminders I give people. Not everybody's got an iPhone. Um, we're going to have to make sure there's a taxi component. And uh, Rick, I think it was, said, yes, there would be. And, of course, I think it was an unintentional oversight in the discussion, but just the kind of thing that needs to be done so we don't leave no members left behind, shall we say. And that's what I'd like to say about that. Thank you.
0: All right. You've, you've heard speakers for both candidates? I'm breaking open a. Uh, get my thumb through the plastic. I'm breaking open a deck of three by five cards, and I'm going to be handing them to Ellen. There you go. Ellen is going to be passing out one ballot. Do not touch. Do not muck with your ballot till I give you the directions. Okay? I'm going to wait till she tells me she's passed them out to everybody. Everybody with a name badge with a dot gets a ballot, and she's checking that as she passes them out. These cards are a little on the thin side, so you might want to double-check that you're only getting one. You might be tempted.
10: The ballots are being distributed. Brian's at the podium. The two people that are up for election are Jim, De- are, that are competing for this board position are Jim Denham and Chris Devin, both of whom have served in board position capacities in the past. It looks like uh, we're going to wrap up early today, so I'm just giving everybody a heads up, giving the folks at TIC a heads up, that I believe as soon as this election concludes, which will probably be done within the next 20 minutes or so, um, there'll be one more board position. But as soon as we're done elections, I believe we're shutting down for the day. So uh, we will be out of here well before 5 o'clock, and then we will be resuming uh, the broadcast um, not during the cocktail hour, <laughs> but uh, during the banquet. And I think I started to say earlier, uh, Dino Vassil- Vassili, um texted me asking me where you can get Instapots, and I believe you can get them through Amazon. And uh, he's a big pressure cooker fan, so Dino, thanks for listening, uh, good to hear from you. Uh, one of the things they're serving tonight is short ribs, and uh, I bet you short ribs would be really good in a pressure cooker. And I believe Larry Turnbull, um, one of the next things he's going to be cooking with his pot is going to be some, he's going to take some uh, some ribs and tenderize them in the pot and then finish them off on his barbecue grill in the backyard. So yes. that sounds absolutely fantastic. So anyways, uh, I'm going to return you to Brian, who's going to give instructions for the, for the ballot, and we'll be back uh, to you bear soon. He is, but...
15: Is
0: there anybody who believes that they are an eligible voter who does not have a ballot? Very good. Now, because I announced that you had to have your name badge and a dot on it, I, the uh, ballot passers came back and indicated that Jerry Berger found that he had left his name badge in his room, so she came, as she should, to our treasurer, who's the keeper of our roles, and he indicated that he is a member in good standing. Is there any objection to anybody in the room for allowing him to vote today? Um, right. So we, we'll deal with it. If we get down to a single ballot difference, we'll worry about it then. Okay. So now, we're going to move on. Your directions, ladies and gentlemen, are as follows. If you wish to cast your ballot for Jim Denham, you tear off one corner of your ballot. If you wish to vote for Chris Devon, you tear off two corners of your ballot. You may be creative and do it opposite corners, if you'd like, or both on one side. But it is one corner for Jim Two corners for Chris. You may now mark your ballots. When you're done marking them, please do not fold them. Just keep them flat and hold your ballot up so that the ballot takers can come get them from you.
10: Thank the, you. And no hanging chads. No hanging chads. We haven't heard hanging chads in a long time, have we?
20: Hang down your chads, Tommy.
10: Okay, we're collecting the ballots, and we'll have the results of this election very soon.
0: Does anybody not have their ballot picked up? Okay, we are now, we're, we're counting up front here. We'll be back to you shortly with the result. The process, by the way, is we have a cited person who was the ballot distributor doing a count, and then we have our first vice president, David Kingsbury, doing a tactile count, since he can count torn c- corners better than certain balloters down in the state of Florida, As David says, a very low bar. I
10: feel like we should be playing some Chad and Jeremy music here. Remember Chad and Jeremy, Bob? Counting the ballots, we'll have a... The results here very soon. Again, you're listening to ACB Radio live event from the Bay State Council. The Blind Convention. We are in the midst of electing one of our board members. We've already elected Brian Charleston as president, David Kingsbury, first vice, vice president, Frank Ventura, second vice president, Jerry Barrier, secretary, Rick Moran as treasurer. They've all been uh, voted in by acclamation. We now have uh, an election between Chris Devon and Jim Denham for one of the two open board positions. And we will be reporting the results here momentarily. Now, I find it interesting that neither one of the candidates talked about building a wall anywhere. It's beginning to sound like Vegas up there. Snapping some of the cards. Again, David is doing a tactile verification of the votes that were counted visually. And as soon as we get an agreement between the two counts, we will be announcing the results of the election. While we're waiting, I want to take this time to uh, thank Larry Turnbull, Debbie Hazelton, and everybody, uh, Jeff Bishop, and everybody in the management team of ACB Radio, uh, making all this possible. All
0: right, I'm ready with the announcement. If I may have your attention. With a total of 45 ballots cast 32 for Jim Denham, 13 for Chris Devon, Jim Denham is elected as a member of the board of directors. We move on to the final election of the afternoon for the second board position. The nominating committee has placed into nomination the name of Rose Miller. Are there any nominations from the floor? Are there any nominations from the floor? Are there any nominations from the floor? floor? Motion's been made and seconded to elect Rose Miller to the Board of Directors by acclamation. All those in favour signify by saying aye. Aye. All those opposed, no. Congratulations, Rose. This is democracy, the way we hope the presidential election will be held a later later that chance. down the road. So we, 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 we can hope. We can hope. So at this point, I would like to give those who were elected an opportunity to say a brief word. If the uh, mic carrier can first bring it to David Kingsbury to my left here.
13: Yes, good afternoon. Yes. I was thinking of proposing that we build a wall. Send all the sighted people over that wall. And only invite back the good ones. <laughs> but then I, then I thought, well, given the spirit of things, that's a lousy idea. Mm-hmm. So instead, um, once again, thank you very much. Um, I, I think instead I'll continue to work on the social committee, coming up with fun activities open to all uh, in things like bowling and birding and good things like that. Um, Rock climbing, perhaps, too. And again, shameless plug for this Friday night. Please come to the Carroll Center, 7.30, for a wonderful play. Um, I've also enjoyed recently becoming the chair of the ride-sharing committee, uh, taxi and ride-sharing committee. Great bunch of people, and I have the benefit of chairing it while other people do really great work. And and I, I think we'll come up with some really good things that could be helpful in a very real practical way to people in the community and again if you have issues with taxis or ride sharing in your community you know, let us know because it, it's good for us to know these things and then finally another sort of shameless plug I've recently you know, become a member of the publications committee chaired by Steve Dresser and you may have noticed a couple of weeks ago a new publication called Baylines Express came out I enjoyed putting that <laughs> Putting that together, I think we have we have several avenues of communication here in the Bay State Council, but we can always use more. So, I think this is meant as sort of a very quick, simple, no-nonsense way to get some information to you quickly. And I enjoyed putting it together um, um, a few weeks ago, and look forward to the next one on the next on March 25th. If you have things that you would like to contribute, um, activities that you know are coming up and you want them publicized in the calendar, please shoot me a line and I'll make sure that that gets in there. So again, thank you very much. And um, I'm looking forward to a great 2016 and beyond with you all. Thank you. I think Frank is next.
1: Thank you very much. I just want to thank my uh, political action committee for my very glitzy and high-powered and high-funded campaign. So thank you. (laughs) But seriously, uh, definitely, uh, it's a privilege to be able to serve on uh, the convention committee, as you see, also on the budget committee with uh, our treasurer, Rick Morin. And I've also been very privileged to be able to go down to Washington and do a little bit of legislative work. And I look forward to working with our uh, director of legislative uh, affairs, Mr. Bob O'Shea. So thank you very much, everyone. <laughs> you you
0: uh, Jerry. Rick, since he's up here.
10: It was funny, you know, Bob, uh, Brian and I in the last Yin-Yang show, he, as long as we're doing shameless plugs, right? No one else will talk about the Yin-Yang. Hey, who, who, here hasn't, who here hasn't gotten ACB Link yet? Clap your hands. Okay, ACB Link. Okay, you need to download it for no other reason than to listen to the Yin-Yang show. 6 to 9 p.m. every Thursday. Uh, Brian said to me the other day, he said, you know, if you don't uh, uh, remain treasurer, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kill you. So uh, isn't that what you said, Brian? Something I wasn't like that? that gentle. Something like that, yeah. <laughs> so next year we're going to be putting a resolution, we're going we're to make a, uh, uh, an amendment to the Constitution to put the term limits back into the treasurer's position. No, I'm only joking. Uh, no, thanks, everybody. I, I, I enjoy being a treasurer and uh, look forward to my two-year term, and, and uh, thank you very much.
0: Yeah, Jerry, you know the guy without his name tag.
7: Well, first of all,
9: first of all I'm embarrassed. <laughs> I guess I wasn't paying attention this morning, and I thought the big card was the thing that had the dot on it, and I guess that's my meal card. But I'm, I'm very proud to be here, and I'm sorry to say I realize I haven't done the minutes yet. When's our next board meeting? <laughs> Thank you very much.
0: Jim Denham, or okay. all right, Jim Denham.
18: Thank you very much. Um, first, I want to say thank you to Chris. Um, great campaign, and I appreciate you didn't go negative. Um, <laughs> but no, seriously, thank You're you have for to burn
0: those notes. <laughs>
18: um, thank you for for uh, all you've done for Basic Council of the Blind, and, and Chris, I really hope you do still stay involved and you keep active because, you know, in those board calls, hearing your voice and hearing your input is always really good. So I really I really hope you you stay active and uh, we continue to hear your voice. Um, thank you to the membership for your confidence. I appreciate it. Um, thank you to um, my beautiful wife, Caroline, who's been a good um, <laughs> supporter and an assistant. And I couldn't have done this without her. Um, what I want to say is that, you know, I'm a director, but I'd like to hear what I, I want to hear what all of you have to say. And, you know, this organization is led by you. All of you. the matter if this is your first time at a convention or you've been coming here for 20 years, this is your organization. So if you have something that concerns you, if there's something you need, if there's something that you, board, you want the board to think about, call me. You can call me. You can email me. Um, you can text me, you can do whatever. Um, but, you know, this. I, I want to hear from you, and if you want to be involved, I want to hear from you as well. So, so please reach out and, and make this your organization. Thank you.
0: And now, the newest member of the BSCB board, Rose Miller.
4: I just want to thank everybody for... Whatever they did. But anyway. <laughs> Hi, everybody. Thank you. And um, I really appreciate uh, the opportunity to help bring this board unmanly. <laughs> um, <laughs> and also understanding that I'm the least techie person on the board. And if you need to talk to me, call me on the phone. Because <laughs> <Okay? laughs> I'm... <laughs> so, um, and again, thank you so much. I appreciate the opportunity. I will do the best that I can to serve in the year term that I have been elected to do, and do as do as well as I can to help uh, bring a little bit more diversity to the team. Amen. <laughs> okay. Thank you, Rose. All right. Take care. Have a good day. <laughs>
0: So, everybody, take a quick look at your program. What does it say? Now, what I want to do... Excuse me. Yes.
12: This is Deanne Elliott. I'm sorry, I just got the microphone. I just wanted to reiterate what um, Jim Denham said about Chris. You've done a fabulous job, and in no way is this a reflection on, on Chris. And you're really our constitutional Expert and our parliamentarian, and we hope we can continue to have your steady voice when we get into these little conundrums about Robert's Rules of Order. So, thank you.
0: Chris knows better than to think that I'm going to allow him to uh, take a break. We don't let anybody take a break, let me tell you. Once committed, always committed. All right. um, I want to, of course, give Frank a chance to talk a bit about what is to follow this evening uh, but I also want to once again I remember the difficulty Frank had in reading that list this morning yeah. it's gonna be just as difficult for me so with your permission I'm simply going to acknowledge the fact that the men and women of BSCB stepped up to the plate we yes we had Vanda and thank you Vanda for being a, a diamond sp- sponsor we had the great gift from our friend and and longtime member Jerry Boucher. We had the nice gift from Frank. You know, Frank and Frank, the legal firm. You've heard of them. Frank and Frank. But there were a lot of other people who gave 25, 50, 100 dollars apiece and know that we appreciate each and every one of you for what you've done to help balance the books here for this event. We do our best to try to bring you as much as we possibly can within budget. My buddy over there, Rick, would tell you that we're in a spend-down rate of about six to $9,000 a year. That's how much more it costs us to do what we do than what we bring in right now. So we appreciate you helping us keep that down to a minimum as we work on coming up with even more ways to raise the funds to support our good works. So let me just really reiterate how appreciative we are of all the contributions people make financial and otherwise. Let's give them all a big hand. And now a few words from our sponsor. Oh uh, no, Frank. Yeah, uh,
8: uh Brian, may I have the floor for just a minute and want to speak to something? Um, you
0: got to talk to Frank. Okay. I gave Frank the floor. Okay. Okay, and this is this. we will
8: take less than that. Um, I was really thinking a lot about what Chris said about people who don't have computers, and then I heard David um, Kingsbury talk about the wonderful Bay Lines Express. Well, I wanted to let you know that the Publications Committee, uh, there's a good chance that we're going to be able to make Bay Lines Express available to everybody who has a telephone. That's because BSCB has a dormant spot, that is a spot on Newsline that hasn't been utilized in a long time, and we are going to look to get Bay Lions Express be part of Newsline so that everybody in this room
0: gets to listen to it. In case, in case you didn't know it, there's a new member of the BSCB Publications Committee. Her name is Gina Russo. She has accepted. She is, she is the controlling force. Of the newsline service here in Massachusetts, so I think she's an appropriate person. And by the way, congratulations to her and Joe Quintanilla, who became engaged to be married on Valentine's Day. They're going to be at dinner tonight, so give them hell. Are they already here in the back of the room? Well, hi there. We won't make them do that now. We'll wait until the banquet. Anyway, so, Frank, it's back at you, bug, big guy.
1: Okay, so, at beginning this year, one of my resolutions was to lose a little bit of weight. Is, has anyone else in here that been thinking about losing weight? Be honest. Yeah. <laughs> we think about it a lot. Okay, so, I understand that everyone's going to empty out their wallets at the auction tonight, right? Yeah. yeah. Good. No That's the only way. <laughs> okay, so tonight, like I said, at 6 o'clock... We're going to, Right across the hall is a uh, cocktail alley. Get, get a cocktail if you're so inclined. Back in this room, 7 p.m. We will start off with our featured speakers and then we're going to do some awards. And uh, Nobody's going to find out yet because you have to come back to find out. And then we're going to motion, uh, move right into our auction, annual auction. Uh, we're going to have to finish at 11 o'clock as per rules of the hotel. Not to vacate the room by 11. And outside the uh, the uh, room to the left here where the registration desk is Rick and I will be taking payments for auction items and then we'll all wrap it up for the evening and get ready for tomorrow so, yes please yeah sure okay. Let's
18: it. <laughs> um, just because navigating hotels is so much fun um those of you who, when you leave this room, first of all, if you're leaving, I'm going to put this plug in as a registration chair. If you're leaving again, please put your name badge on the registration table so we can reuse it again next year. Just, just, just put you're it... Back if you're not coming back tomorrow, right, exactly. If you're coming back tomorrow, wear your name badge tomorrow. But if you're, if you're leaving today after the banquet or you're leaving before the banquet, um, please put your name badge on the table so we can reuse it. Also, as you go in the hallway from the meeting room here to towards the elevator and that whole area, they have, in the last hour, put up some cocktail tables. And those are on the far, if you are walking towards the main lobby, those are on the far left wall. So keep, well, don't go too far right because there's tables there too. So straight is your path, and it's true. And so just, just be aware that those are on the left side. So if, you, if, you, if you're used to trailing the left hand wall um, to get to the elevators and the front door and that, that whole lobby area, there are now some tables that have been set up for a wedding reception that will be happening later this evening. So when you come down to the banquet, you may be walking through a wedding reception as well. Um, so. Uh, Frank? Frank? Yes. Um, it's um, um,
16: okay. Um, I'm pretty loud without it, but anyway, <laughs> um, I know Nina would probably say this if I didn't, but remember to bring your auction items with you down to the cocktail hour um, if you haven't done that. Um, and get them on the. Where are we going to put them, Nina? Okay.
11: I will be at the banquet, and so they can find me at the banquet. (laughs) Will you
1: be at the registration table?
11: I will be at the registration table during the cocktail hour, but not before the cocktail hour. People were supposed to bring the items during the day, during registration this morning. A lot of people were great and did that. Also, people brought some to me during some of the breaks. So I will be back at the cocktail hour. There's a lot of many different items, and you can check them out in the back of the room. There's a nice display on the table. Thank you, everyone.
0: Okay, ladies and gentlemen, you know what that means. We are in recess until tomorrow morning, 9 a.m., but come to the banquet Come to the auction, help fund Bay State Council and help honor our speaker, Charlie Crawford, this evening and our award recipients. We'll see you then.